0: Welcome to the Nathan Crane Podcast, your number one source for everything holistic health. Listen to guest interviews with top doctors and health experts and discover cutting-edge solutions for living your healthiest, longest, and most fulfilling life. There's never been a better time to become healthier, happier, and more alive. And now your host, best-selling author, inspirational speaker, and cancer health researcher and educator, Nathan Crane.
1: Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Uh, I'm so excited to have Bill Bevins here with us to share his incredibly inspiring cancer healing journey. Bill, welcome to the podcast.
2: Welcome, Nathan. It's great to be here. I've, I've studied you from afar and it's great to meet you sincerely.
1: Yeah, thank you. I um i I heard a little bit about your story through a mutual friend and colleague and uh, or someone who interviewed you a little while ago and um I thought you know what i got i gotta reach out to Bill get him on the podcast and and you know i'd love to really dive deep into you know your journey with cancer and help inspire other people who are struggling with cancer so um yeah, talk a little bit about your Your cancer diagnosis, when was that and what was the, what was the diagnosis and what was the prognosis?
2: Okay. Well, the diagnosis was stage four colon and liver cancer. The prognosis was if I don't follow the doctor's advice, I'll be dead within six months. And if I do follow the device, all their advice and their remedies, the chances of me surviving five years, still less than 20%. That was 2001. So that was twenty one years ago. Actually almost almost twenty two years ago now.
1: So let's let's say that again. If you follow the doctor's advice, which I'm assuming was chemotherapy, radiation surgery also?
2: Surgery, chemotherapy, and possibly radiation.
1: You had a tumor in your colon?
2: I had a tumor in my and colon. And it was
1: stage four means it was metastasized as well, lymph nodes, and, other organs or and liver. And liver, yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you because said.
2: Liver. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, so that's, that was the diagnosis. That was the six
1: six months. If you do
2: what, what they recommend, if you do do nothing, nothing, if I do nothing, I won't survive six months because
1: 20% chance to live five years,
2: less than 20% chance. If you
1: do surgery, chemotherapy, if do, radiation.
2: everything they could they could recommend still less than twenty percent survival in five years. I I did my own research, stage four colon liver cancer is less than twenty percent five year survival.
1: Did they tell you that or did you have yeah. to research that on your own?
2: Well, they told me, but I researched it because <laughs> you know, trust but verify. Or yeah. I don't know, but, you know, I just when it when it involves your life, uh, or my life, I'm extremely careful, I'm extremely diligent because uh, I don't take anything for granted.
1: So it's 2001, and I mean, what was your man? What was what was your thoughts in that moment? What was you, what were you feeling? What was the experience like to be told this this devastating news?
2: Well, no one wakes up in the morning expecting to, to hear those words. You have cancer. No one. I mean, I can't imagine somebody waking up tonight. Hey, you know what? Today, I'm um, things I want to experience today. Uh, being diagnosed with cancer, it's not on anybody's list. As Mike Tyson says, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And that's a punch in the mouth. And uh, I... uh, Yeah, but I took it sort of numbly because, okay, because at first, my mother had cancer when she was, when I was very, very young. Uh, Cancer was not in my family very much. It was more cardiovascular with my family, Nathan. But I had friends who had died from cancer, who had cancer. And and the, the first reaction was cancer, me, cancer. That's, that's the other person. That's not me. And uh, when I was growing up, I was always a great athlete and I uh, could exercise. I could run. I was the fastest in the short. I could run long distances and I didn't really have um, any challenge with my body. But I was. If, I'll go back a little bit, leading up to that, if you don't mind, Nathan, because it'll let you know more of the state I was in and and everything. Um, I uh, I was feeling very tired all of a sudden because I was getting stressed. I was no longer exercising. My diet was changing. I'd started my own business, and things weren't going the way I had, as great as I had hoped. They weren't going badly, but I wasn't taking various various. Um, situations as, as perhaps as detached as I should have. And, and when sometimes people to balance out stress, they eat certain things, comfort food, whatever you want to call it. And my sleep wasn't as good. And I started noticing all of a sudden, uh, I wasn't exercising anymore. I started noticing as I would walk up one flight of stairs at my house, I'd have to lay down in my bed, in my bedroom. And I thought, ignorantly, how did I let myself get out of such poor? How did I, I get in such poor condition? I mean, I can't believe this. So I said, well, I got, I got, I had my bicycle. So I hopped on my bicycle and started riding here in the Texas hill country. I started up a hill. I started feeling faint and I actually collapsed over into the ditch. And I, I was, I actually, actually faded unconscious for a moment. How old were you? I was uh, 49 years old.
1: So 49, this was around 2001 or shortly before, before your diagnosis.
2: This was February, 2001. Okay. 2001. Got on your and bike
1: I, and fainted. You just didn't have I, I collapsed
2: in the ditch. I collapsed in the ditch. And, and I, I just, I didn't know what it was. But that, Golly. Ignorantly again, I just thought, how did I let my body get in such poor condition? Anything wrong with my body never entered my consciousness. No, I, it just, again, ignorantly, it didn't and I had not gone gone to the doctor in years. And uh, I actually had to lay in the ditch holding my finger up because cars were stopping asking if I was okay. So I finally, after about 30 minutes, coasted back down the hill, walked my bike home. And I said, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna start running then. I can't ride my bike. And I had the same experience running, I collapsed. Then I said, I'm gonna start walking. So I started walking and eventually I I decided to start playing golf. I started walking because I couldn't run and ride my bike. I eventually started to play golf so I could walk the golf course carrying my golf bag. And like many, like I believe that we are basically first and foremost spiritual beings. And I rely on that very heavily intuition insights. I get, I hold a lot of truth in that. And I, and I follow that whenever I can. Did you have that
1: belief? Did you have that strong kind of sense of a spiritual being your whole life or did this come more after the diagnosis?
2: That's a great question. When I was 18 years old or 17, oh yeah, 18 years old between my senior year in high school to college, I started meditating. I would meditate four to six hours a day all wow. that summer. Uh, it just felt like the thing to do. And uh, I remember when I, I remember when I showed up uh, at the university of Texas, I didn't know what major I wanted to be. So I, uh, they, they, okay, pick your majors, and I didn't have one and one guy said hey, I'm going I'm to go to the philosophy department I said philosophy yeah i I'll, I'll go check that out So I went in and the the chairman of the department stood in because the the the, uh, the philosophy uh, undergrad person that was supposed to give us orientation wasn't there, so the chairman of the department sat in with four of us there in the, in, the, in his in his office, and at that point, I was so happy, I was so happy. And it was, I know it was because I was just doing this meditation. And we started talking, and I remember I just held myself one-on-one with this guy, he having all the knowledge. But me, uh, well, my point was, so then I said, you know, I'll become a philosophy major. And uh, I have always had a spiritual bent in yoga and um, various types of yoga. There's a yoga called Surat shah. Also, one thing I also studied was also Sanskrit, Hindi, and Urdu the languages of the Indian subcont- uh, subcontinent hmm. because I also, not only was it the Western philosophy of Western philosophers, but also Eastern philosophy and the Indian philosophy and, you know, uh, what having to do with reincarnation and these type of things, which I, I had experience of my life that I knew didn't come from experiences in this life. Hmm. Uh, I'm not, you know, that's somebody can believe what they want. That's just, that's not my, belief. I, I, I was like,
1: talking with someone about that the other day, actually, I was, um, you know, I've been heavily involved in in many spiritual and religious traditions, more from an open mind and open heart to to understand them, to to know why people believe they way the way they do and pray or meditate and the way they do, and and where these philosophies and traditions and spiritual practices come from. And so, I actually got invited to a Bible study group the other night, and uh, went with you know primarily Christians and sat and talked about the Bible. And, you know, any tradition that that teaches a spiritual practice, I think, is worth our time and energy and openness to to explore it and understand it and with an open mind. And certainly um, in those situations, you're not always going to find people who have such an open mind. You know, oftentimes those situations, you'll find people that it's this way or the highway. But I don't mind being around people like that for a short period of time, too much of that. And I can be like, all right, I got to go. But, you know, I like to have conversations and ask questions and have debates and and learn. And I have, you know, I've been that way for a long time. Also, like you, we were just talking a little bit ago about this kind of affinity towards Native Americans and the Native American culture. And I spent a lot of time over the past, you know, 15 plus years uh, in sacred ceremony with different indigenous tribes and uh, you know, Native American ceremonies and teepee ceremonies, and and uh, te mascals and sweat lodges, and uh, you know, deep prayer and Sundance experience, and you know, incredible spiritual experiences. And um, what I what I wanted to to bring up about that, what you were just saying about uh, having this kind of affinity towards, you know. Um, uh, Eastern traditions and this kind of belief in reincarnation or past lives one of the one of the young guys at the Bible study asked me he said you know what do you what do you think happens when you when you die?" I was like well you know i I really don't believe that any one of us would go to a hell and burn for the rest of our lives it's not a belief that I can accept um, you know if you're trying to live a good life." And be a good person and do good things. There's, there's just no way in my mind that an all loving, caring, generous, compassionate, benevolent God would send you to hell to burn in misery and pain and suffering for the rest of your life, because you made a few mistakes, right? Like, I just don't see that as something that even makes any sense whatsoever. So I don't believe that. And I also... Um, you know, I, I I can't be close so close-minded to believe that maybe there is such a thing as reincarnation. Maybe our souls do come back into another body. There are many examples, even of young kids talking about past lives that they had, knowing every single detail of who they were and what happened and how they died and all this stuff. And parents freaked out because it's like this kid had never been exposed to any of that story everywhere. And, and in fact, that that person's story is so like unknown but when they researched it and found out every detail was exactly accurate it's like it it really makes you think well maybe some of these ancient traditions of reincarnation um you know are possible i can't rule that out who am i to rule that out right so back to what you were just saying you you said you had some experience with maybe even uh past lives what do you what were those experiences what what are you talking about
2: well let's just say Well, I I probably wouldn't want to get into that too much, if you don't mind. Um, It's more of an affinity. For example, when I was very young, about three or four years old, my father had to tell me this. I didn't remember at the time. Uh, He would have a room, the living room would be full of all their friends. And I was known as Billy. Billy, come in here and do stomp dance, do stomp dance and that they would all be in a circle. And I would get, I would get, um, in, in the middle of them all. And I would start this, I would start this. I guess you could look at, it, it was like an Indian dance, but it, but my father called it stomp dance. Cause I was stomping around. They were all laughing all that. And then we took a trip to New Mexico to Albuquerque where there's, as you know, there's a lot of native Americans there. And it, I was five years old and, uh, I just started hanging out with the Indians and I said, daddy, I want one of these things. And it was a, it was the headdress and all of this, just things like that. Um, But to me, it's more important. It's not about past lives It's what can you gather to do have, to have greater experiences and be happy and be more loving and be more successful in this life. If there's anything we can bring forth to this life Hmm. to me, because that's the key we're in this life to learn. That's, that's my take. And I agree with you. I don't have this rendition of there's the hell you go to and you make the mistakes and you're you're burned. I I don't think that's true, personally. Um, but be- because I had this spiritual bent, as I was um, starting to play golf, I was walking the golf course, and I heard this little inner voice. I was on the 14th hole, and I went, walked to the 15th hole. It was a very long par five for those that Don't know golf. Par five is a long hole. It was very straight. I can see two guys way up in front, just about to go to the green. And this little voice said, go catch those guys. Normally I would have been hitting the drive and going down. But so I just followed my inner voice. I carried my golf clubs, walked down the course. And I was, it was very hard for me to do because it was hard to keep my breath because I still was, I thought in horrible condition. And when I finally got to the green on the 15th, they'd walked over to the 16th and I yelled over to them. I said, Hey guys, you mind if I play in with you? They said, Sure, come on over. So they waited for me and we hit our drives on 16. And then we 17 was another long par five dog leg left, and that was very long for me. And we got to 18th, which is the last hole. We hit our drives and I started walking. And I said, Hey guys, I'm so sorry. I'm completely wiped. I can't keep up with you guys. I'm gonna you guys go ahead and finish. It's been great. I appreciate you guys have me along for this, this time. And they said, okay. And I sat down on the, on the fairway. Cause I was so tired. When I finally got up, I could see they motioned me up. They would wait for me. And I, I hit my, hit my approach shot. And I, we, we, they waited for me. We all put it out. And then when I went over to shake one guy's hand, he came up to me and he said, I was a medic in NAM. I'm looking at you. You've got a problem with your liver. You need to go to the doctor. Mm. And It was like, where did that come from? That was the first moment, Nathan, that I ever thought, maybe there's something really going on inside my body. And I did not have health insurance at the time. And I knew that if I went to the doctor, at least I, and I was something serious was discovered. I may have a hard time getting insurance because it may be considered a pre-existing condition. So I didn't say anything to anybody. I got insurance the best I could for catastrophic. And then I, uh, Schedule myself with a physical, with a, with a doctor not far from my house. And I went and did the physical, and then I came home. About 30 minutes after I got home, the phone rang, and it's the doctor's nurse. And, and she said, well, she, she made sure I was on the phone. And she says, well, the doctor has just looked at some of your tests. And he's very concerned. And he's scheduled an appointment for you in the morning with a gastroenterologist. And I said, well, test? What test? And she said, well, it's actually your blood test like I had to keep pulling it out of her. What about my blood test? She said, it's your hemoglobin. It's 5.7. And of course I didn't know anything about blood tests. I didn't know what, I knew hemoglobin had to do with maybe red blood. 5.7 could have been a hundred or two thousand or one. I have no idea. So she faxed over back then there was fax machines. She faxed over my blood test and I could see that the normal for adult male was 13 to 17. So at 5.7, I'd lost about two-thirds of the hemoglobin in my body, and uh, I didn't even know that, and I subsequently studied and learned that hemoglobin attaches, uh, uh, oxygen attaches to hemoglobin, and gets transported through the arteries to your cells, and it combines with glucose to create ATP, which is energy, so if you don't have oxygen, you don't have any energy, right, and that's why I was so out of shape, I just, I was suffocating literally at the cellular level, I was getting plenty of air into my lungs, but I couldn't get transported from my lungs to my cells, to my muscles. And uh, when I saw the gastroenterologist the next day, he asked me, you know, what are you, what are you doing? I said, well, I've been playing golf. I've been walking the golf course trying to get in shape. He said, I've got somebody upstairs. We were in a hospital. Who's hemoglobin seven? If I don't get it up, they're going to be dead. 5.7, don't check yourself into an emergency room. They will not let you leave. He couldn't believe that I didn't have a heart attack wow. because of what I told him I was trying to to be doing. With such low red blood in my body, so that that was that experience. And then um, when I uh, saw him, he said, "You either have celiac disease where you're not processing, or you have a pro- you're bleeding internally." And he the next day he got me in for a colonoscopy. And I, when when you do a colonoscopy, they generally give you some sort of Anesthetic, so you're still conscious, so you can move around, but you don't remember. But I remembered very clearly the whole experience.
1: Hey, I just want to take a quick second and thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you're enjoying it so far. As a special thank you for tuning into this episode, I want to give you my number one Amazon best-selling book, absolutely free. You can go download it right now at Becoming Cancer Free com. If you want to learn evidence-based strategies for helping your body become a cancer-fighting machine for not only cancer reversal but cancer prevention, go grab a copy of the book. Again, I'm just giving it to you for free. You can go download it at becomingcancerfree.com. All right, let's get back to the show.
2: And I remember looking up at a monitor, and he pointed it, and he said, look at that. That looks like cancer. And it was just, I remember just looking to see this big bloody mass. Through the scope on on the on, with the colonoscopy scope, and uh, I remember because he went after the colonoscopy. He came back. He said, "Do you remember anything?" I said, "Yeah, I remember. You were pointed up at the monitor. We were talking about this." He said, "That's exactly right. Most people don't remember those things. I guess it was such an impact. It just shattered through the anesthesia and was burned in my consciousness." So at that point, um, I hadn't got the biopsy back yet, but he was. He was certain it was cancer. Uh, two days later, the biopsy came back. And yeah, it was a moderately moderately to, to poorly differentiated adenocarcinoma in my colon. And then a CT scan the next day revealed um, it had spread to my lymph nodes. And an ultrasound determined there were spots and lesions in my liver that said very suspicious, most probably secondary to metastatic to metastatic. So that's, then I saw a surgeon and and the, the surgeon uh, took those two, took this, I, he, I brought the CT scans with me at, at that point in time, you put them up on a light board and he pointed out, yeah, there's your tumor. There's your opening in your colon. It turns out the the uh, tumor had completely encircled the inner wall of my colon and was coming in and the lumen, which is the opening of my colon was about the size of a dime. Wow. And Were you, I,
1: I'm sure, I, I mean, your bowel movements must have been quite re- restricted then no. as well with that, or no?
2: No, no. no. I didn't, i not, some people have asked, would you see any blood in your stool? No, I didn't. And no literally, pain, no pain either? No, no pain. I mean, literally, I ignorantly thought, ignorantly, looking back, I was out of shape. Well, I
1: mean, it's it's not ignorant at all, actually. I mean, people think that when you have cancer, I guess there is ignorance and just, we don't have the education as a society, but when you, you know, interview hundreds and hundreds of people as I have, and you discover, you know, and you look deep into the research and talk to the doctors, most cancers actually have very little to no symptoms and have very little to no pain. I'm saying most or many, let's say many. Uh, And and that's not to, you know, take away from some cancers are very painful and, and oftentimes it is a... It is a colon cancer that can be very painful because of the tumor might be pressing up and, you know, uh, restricting bowel movements or maybe pressing up against nerves. And that can be very painful. Sometimes bone cancer can be very painful. Some cancers can be very painful. um, But many, many cancers actually have very little to no pain and very little to no symptoms, often until the end stages where it has, you know, stage four or beyond, it's metastasized, it's starting to cause other problems, like with your liver, for example, and you start to see other symptoms uh, because other organs are not functioning properly. And more often than not, people don't realize this, but most people who have cancer actually don't die from, from cancer. They, the, at least what the um, reports say, you know, we could, we could discuss, is it the treatment that's actually killing them as well? It's a whole other conversation. But beyond that, actually, most people with cancer die from heart disease. So the the diet and lifestyle that has led to the cancer very often uh, exacerbates and increases the risk for heart disease, as well as diabetes, autoimmune disease, neurodegenerative disease, right? And so very often, it's the heart that ends up having the most problems. And not necessarily because of the cancer, uh, it's because of what has led to the cancer in the first place. So it's very, you know, it's, it's interesting to hear that, that you didn't have pain. Um, but, you know, how, how would you know that you had a tumor in your colon if you don't have any real signs or symptoms that it's there?
2: Well, well, the symptom was completely out of breath. Exactly. But not, but not knowing the biochemistry that no energy could mean you don't have enough blood. Right. And not that you're out of shape. It's just you don't have enough blood. Uh, so again, and I don't take ignorance as stupidity. As using yeah. ignorance is just not knowing. Yeah. And I'm ignorant in many things. We all are. Sometimes, if someone, I turn myself ignorant in many ways, and I don't. I just think it's just a statement of fact.
1: Yeah, ignorant. Ignorance is a funny word because it's like uh, think, Yeah, exactly. Th- there's some charge behind it. I certainly feel the charge behind it sometimes. That like when you said, ignorant. It was. I immediately felt the charge of like, well, no, you're not ignorant. You're not stupid, right? But then at the other end of it, ignorance, what it actually means, as you're saying, is actually – it just means you don't know. No experience. Know. You no just experience. don't know. Exactly. And that's right. the
2: way I look at ignorance. And yeah. and I've actually – I have to be careful using that word because <laughs> <laughs> I have to qualify it before I say it because sometimes I've actually alienated <laughs> some people inadvertently because if someone calls me ignorant, I'll say, yeah, in, about what? In what? Yeah, yeah. you're right. Yeah, that – I." Guilty as charged. I absolutely am. Yeah. But what should I? What should I be knowing? Because I look at it as an opportunity to maybe there's something more I need to learn that I don't know because I'm ignorant. But you're right. Most people equate ignorance with stupidity, and a far, far different. So you
1: were at the. So you went to the surgeon. You. I mean, they basically realized, hey, this is stage four. It's very serious. It's metastasized. It's you know spread to the liver. The liver is. It's the lesions and the problems with the liver that was causing the low red blood count. Is that what they determined?
2: No, the low red blood count was because the tumor was bleeding.
1: Oh, the tumor was bleeding. Okay. But you didn't have blood in your stool, though. So your body was...
2: There there could have been blood in my stool. I just didn't notice it. I didn't. I I mean, who who every day looks at their stool for blood?
1: I do. I do. I don't look for blood, but I look at my stool every day. Okay, fair enough. Fair and, I, <laughs> and, and I encourage everybody to actually it's a good conversation because, you know, if you don't look at it cause you're disgusted or whatever, one of the best things you can do to see how your internal um, digestive system is working like is to actually take a look at your stool and see like, is it very runny and watery? That's an issue. You know, is right. it hard and clumpy and it's very, you know, it's not coming out very smoothly. That's also an issue. Is there blood? Is it very discolored sometimes? Now, be mindful if you're drinking beet juice or eating a lot of beets or something, it's going to look like blood, but that's not blood. It just looks red. But other than that, um, you know, I learned years ago to, to actually, you know, observe your stool every day. It takes a half a second to look right. Um, To, to see, uh, because it can tell you a lot about the internal aspect of your health. But again, you weren't, you weren't doing it. You had no idea, no reason to. So maybe you were bleeding and didn't even know it.
2: Yeah, well, I, blood was going out somewhere.
0: Yeah.
2: And that was the only opening I had. <laughs> it so was,
1: it, was it wasn't coming out your ears while you were sleeping, oh, no. is what you're saying?
2: <laughs> no, exactly. And admittedly, I probably wasn't having the best diet to build blood. So um, so, that, so that's why I, I had lost a lot of blood, and I was very tired. So yes. then,
1: then that's when they told you, okay, here's the prognosis, here's what we recommend, surgery, chemotherapy, radiation. What did you say? What did you do from that point
2: forward? Well, I started asking questions, of course. And one thing I asked the doctor after, when he had the CT scan up on the light board, I asked him, how did you know this was cancer in my lymph nodes? And he showed me other parts of my abdomen. He said, you can see this cloudiness here. That's that's cancer there. It's, the density is different. And uh, that's when he, but also what he did, uh, after he he told me that you've got colon cancer with metastasis to your liver. I subsequently had learned that the liver and the colon are connected with the portal vein, so colon cancer, when discovered early, is pretty easily treatable. But when discovered later, many times it metastasizes to the liver, right? And that becomes very, very problematic.
1: And most chemotherapy is actually very ineffective um, against, I mean, many kinds of cancer, but specifically that cancer.
2: And and so uh, he uh, then told me all those stats you know and he, he said you know if you don't do anything in less than 6 months the opening in your colon is go- is going to shut down and and then you'll be dead and and then of course if you do everything we could recommend the odds of you surviving 5 years still less than 20% and then he had called his nurse in and then she left and then she came back with a piece of paper and he took the paper and put a pen on it and slid it over to me. And he said, my nurse just checked. There's space in the operating room. I remember this like it was yesterday, Nathan. There's space in the operating room next Tuesday. I just need your okay right here. and We can get started. And he slid the paper over with the pen right there. And he marked a little X for me to sign to give permission to to reserve the operating room so he could could operate on me. And uh, at that point, I realized, wait a minute, This is, I wasn't ready for this. This is, uh, and then I said to him, I said, let me ask you a question. And this is exactly how it went down. Let me ask you a question. Has anybody ever listened to all this and told you, no, thank you? I'm not interested. Because I was thinking about doing that, to be honest with you. And he said, yes. So I then asked what I thought was the next logical question. So what happened to them? (laughs) He gets very quiet. He looks me right in the eye and he said, They're all dead. He slides the paper over again with the pen. And it's very difficult in that scenario to say no. Right. But I heard this little inner voice, that spiritual nudge, kept saying over and over, you haven't even given your body a chance. You haven't even given your body a chance. You haven't even, it just kept repeating over Mm. and over I mean if you were if you were outside looking you wouldn't have known I was experiencing that but then but it was true I hadn't and I've done a lot of reading in philosophy and done a lot of other reading and one thing a book I really like is by a Chinese general 2500 years ago Sun Tzu its the book's called the art of war and in that book there's a quote by Sun Tzu victorious warriors win first and then they go to war while defeated warriors go to war first and then hope to win, and they just wanted me to go into, they wanted to push me into battle, hoping I would win, and not only hoping with knowing that I had less than twenty percent chance to survive, so i I asked the doctor, "Let me ask you a question Why, why do I have this cancer?" And the answer was like, "We don't really know." But this is really all all we can do for you. And uh, I didn't like that. I didn't like those odds. And I I've thought of this metaphor to myself, and I'll say it here. If, if you were on a dock and you're going to take a boat and you had to get on that boat, or you had to get across the ocean, let's say you had to go across the ocean before plane flight, And the captain of the boat says, okay, everybody get on board, but there's greater than 80% chance this boat's going to sink and you're going to be lost at sea. But it's the only boat. Come on, get on board. Well, I wouldn't get on. I I wouldn't want to get on that boat. And as I, as I thought, I'll go back and try to maybe make my own boat before I get on that boat. And like hearing that inner voice again and again, and always knowing that when I hear that inner voice that loudly, that affirmatively, that definitely, I really pay attention to it.
1: Yeah, that's powerful. I mean and- it's it's really I think a testament to your previous spiritual practice, you know, of meditation, of listening quietly, of connecting to your own inner wisdom, of having an affinity towards various spiritual practices because the more you have, the more you're in tune with you know what I call your your inner wisdom the The more when when it really matters and those kind of voices or nudges or feelings or intuitive hits come up you're already you've already practiced listening to it right you've already know that like hey uh, this thing that's nudging me in this direction, I should probably pay attention, and when you do at least in my experience um things tend to work out for the best, and when we uh avoid or discount or don't listen to that voice, things tend to, you know, work out for the worst, unfortunately. And it's whatever, you know, we could, we could label or name whatever that voice is that you heard. I mean, you could say it was from God, from your soul, from spirit, from your intuition, from whatever you wanted to call it. But I think that, um, there's a huge, you know, uh, It's worth noting that, you know, you had practiced meditation for years and you had been on this spiritual journey for years that that voice was so loud and so clear in that moment when you needed it. Right. And uh, there's there's just so much to be said about that. So that's incredible.
2: Yeah. And and at that point. When the doctor couldn't give me and I, I said, let me ask you a question. You're claiming that if I don't do anything, I'll be dead in six months. And even if I do everything, I won't survive. Greater than 80% I'll be dead in five years. Uh, Why are you you so sure this is what I should be doing? Um, There's got to be something better. Well, that's all we know to do. At that point, I just felt like, Nathan, I felt like if I signed that piece of paper, I was going to be a statistic, and I didn't like those odds and I felt those odds are for people that aren't willing to change, those people that aren't willing to, to make adjustments, those people that aren't willing to learn and are not willing to step up and see what they could do about it.
1: Well, Dr. Thomas Lodi, who is a conventionally trained medical doctor, has become a great friend and colleague of mine. I actually had him on the podcast. He is um, a really fascinating man. He He eventually – left conventional medicine and conventional oncology and opened up a practice that implements integrative and holistic health care because he, from his words and his, his perspective, he was not able to actually help patients heal from chronic diseases like cancer. He was just providing drugs and you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, it, not even healing the underlying condition or causes of the diseases. And and he didn't like that and he felt like you know he wanted to find a better way and he did find a better way and that led him down holistic medicine and natural medicine and lifestyle changes and one of the things he says you know it's a very strong statement that he says but he says you know what what happened to you and what happens to most people he calls that sorcery he says look these and he was he is a medical doctor he says medical doctors are sorcerers you know it, what is sorcery it is it is literally giving you a prognosis, a belief that if you don't do what I say, you're going to die. Right. And so immediately you're, you're, you have this fear, you have this, oh my God, I have to do what he says or I'm going to die. And, and even if I do do what he says, there's an 80% chance I'm going to die. So like now you're like this double fear that even if I do what I'm supposed to do, I'm still probably going to die. You know, that's sorcery. You went from a belief of not even having like, okay, I've, you know, I'm just out of breath to, oh my God, if I don't do this right now and sign this paper and start surgery next week, I'm going to die. And most likely I'm going to die anyway. And then what does a sorcerer do? Gives you the magic potion, the magic pills to, to make you better. And even so those magic potion, magic pills, um, there's still a high likelihood that they are not going to quote unquote cure you. And again, these are his words. They're powerful words, but it's, It's actually a very interesting way to look at it, and and not that medical doctors are bad or conventional oncologists are bad. This is how they're trained, right? They're trained. The medical textbook literature today on oncology teaches three primary things, surgery, radiation, chemotherapy, drugs, drugs, drugs. They don't teach what caused the cancer. They don't teach the diet and nutrition that leads to cancer or that can help reverse cancer. They don't teach a lifestyle. They don't teach, they say it's genetic and it's unknown. And all we can do is give you drugs or chemotherapy, radiation, uh, or surgery, and that's it. So it's not like they're bad people trying to hurt you. Right. And and I don't think you're saying that at all, but a lot of, a lot of people tend to go down that direction and go, Oh, medical doctors are evil. They don't, they're just killing people and that, and it's like, no, they, they are most of them that I've talked to are honestly trying to help people. The problem is their toolkit is so limited and their knowledge is unbelievably limited when it comes to chronic diseases. Right? Acute health care, they're amazing. You know, you need a you need a liver transplant or your arm got cut off in a car wreck or you know, some debilitating thing like that. Acute trauma situation, medical doctors, surgeons are amazing. Chronic diseases, unfortunately, They are not trained yet. You know, there are new um, paradigms being implemented. Certain medical doctors who are actually uh, nutritional scientists who are trying to bring nutritional science and lifestyle uh, changes to heal chronic diseases into the schools, obviously with a lot of resistance because there's not a lot of money in that for the pharmaceutical companies. So they're getting a lot of resistance. But there are some really world-renowned doctors working on this as we speak. But again, back to your point, you said, Hey, you know what? There's gotta be a better way. So what did you do? So you left, you left his office and and what did you do from there? I mean, what did he say when you left? What, yeah. What happened?
2: Well, no, well, good, good point. Good question. I, um, hearing that inner voice, not liking those odds, not liking his explanation. Not liking his, you know, my background is in sales. And I realize, hey, this guy's trying to one-call close me. Mm. I mean, he was just trying to one-call close me. And using the fear of death as the lever to do it. So a, that's the a hardest close you could ever
1: use. If you don't do but, what I say right now, you're going to die. Like, okay, well, that's sad. sign me up, right? I you know,
2: I said, Has anybody ever listened to this and said no? What happened to them? They're all dead. Line <laughs> the paper over
1: it's, yeah, show me the proof that you followed every person that said no to you and that well, they all I mean, died, I right? Thinking,
2: I didn't really care because that's, I, I that's, you know, know, that's a never-ending. But, you know, if the people say that, with me, that's like water off a duck's back because
0: yeah. I, are they God? Yeah.
2: No. No one has the right to tell another person when they're going to die. Yeah. No one has that right. To me, sorcery, I don't know, but wrong, I would say yes. Well, certainly wrong in my case. But um so I uh, not hearing the answers I wanted, Nathan, and I just hearing that inner voice, I just stood up and I said, you know, I need some time to think this over and I shook his hand and I walked out.
1: That's the smartest thing anyone could ever do in that situation. Whether you choose that that route or not, you choose conventional, holistic, whatever you choose. But say i need some time to think this over get a second opinion a third opinion do some research take a little time sit with it meditate on it i mean that's the smartest thing uh anyone could ever do and that's that's amazing to you that you were able to do that in that situation that's not an easy thing to do
2: no it was it was not easy i'm not but it was to me it was it was the only thing to do but again it was easy if i follow my inner voice mm-hmm. It was so clear and I, I don't, I don't, Hey, I got a choice, follow the inner voice and try to give my body a chance or go down that road and at greater 8% chance. I'll be dead in five years. I mean, to me, that's like a no brainer almost for me. It was, a no, it was a no brainer. Uh, and so, but I knew that I could look at the scans. I could know how I feel. I could saw, I could see the blood test. I knew that something was wrong. I knew that my time was limited. There was no doubt about that. I mean, I, it wasn't like, I wasn't in denial. But uh, but, I knew I needed to do something, so I said, "I'll give myself ten days. I'll give myself ten days to see if I can figure out what's going on, see if I can do my own research, I can gain my own knowledge, so I can get some of my own answers um, that I wasn't getting here but as i as I walked out of the surgeon's office, I made it an appointment in ten days. I said, "I'll give myself ten days and And then I called the oncologist. And made another appointment right after that, the same day in 10 days. So I would I would see the surgeon, I would see the oncologist, I gave myself 10 days. And then I, I went back home and I remembered. I can remember it like now. That clearly I can remember this. I remember I drove away. I can still see the parking lot. I pulled over him. I pulled over and it hit me. Because you know, you come to grips with your mortality. And I really realized I said, whoa, I really got myself into a tough situation this time. I mean, this is this is real. And it for about 15 minutes, Nathan, it overcame me. And I really realized, holy, you know what? This is this is the real deal. And uh then I thought, what and don't ask me why. It just because kind of the inner thought came, in. what if that doctor called me and said, "Bill, we made a mistake. Those scans, those tests, we we confused it with another patient. You don't really have you've got cancer, but it's not that serious. You're you're really it's not that big a deal." I, if he called me that, if he called and told me that, how would I feel? I said, "Man, I feel great." All of a sudden, all that heaviness left. I felt light, and I felt great. And I said, wait a minute, which way do I want to feel? Do I want to feel depressed, like I'm afraid of death? Or do I want to feel light and happy? And whatever it's worth, I would say from meditation and going inwardly a lot, one is able to gain greater control of their attention, of their focus, of their awareness, what they choose to put their attention on. They're not as reactionary. They're more proactive. And I said to myself, you know what? I'm going to feel that way. I like the way that feels. I'm going to, I choose that because that feels better. But I, I knew that that wasn't the Those were my scans, but I just started feeling good. I started feeling great. Cause I like, cause I can choose. And, and I, in another interview, I gave this example. There, there was a, uh, a gentleman named Victor Frankel. Mm-hmm. He wrote a man's, book called.
1: Man's Search for Meaning.
2: Man's Search for search. For meaning,
1: incredible book,
2: one of the top top books. But he he was a Austrian Jew. He he and his pregnant wife and his parents were put into Auschwitz, and he watched his pregnant wife get taken to the gas chamber and he watched his parents go to the gas chamber. But somehow he got in different line, was put back into the uh, to the barracks wherever they were.
1: The work the work camp, basically. Yep.
2: Yeah, exactly. And then he got together with four or five other guys. And they would sit down and chat and they were no longer in Auschwitz. They were talking about the life they were going to have when they got back to Berlin. In fact, they were actually, they were in Berlin, just talking. They were no longer in Auschwitz. They were in Berlin. And in in that in book man's search for meaning. He says, everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of the human freedoms to choose one's own way to choose one's own point of view.
1: Well, let's give a little context there. I mean, you know he's telling the stories of right it's freezing cold it's snowy outside they're you know to keep their feet warm they had to you know rip the boots off of someone who had just died right there and they you know people are fighting for that pair of boots that even had holes in them right just to keep you know a, a pair of boots on your feet and they had one bowl of basically watery soup that had maybe one fish eye in it and a couple of peas and like that was their meal for the day they were skin and bones you see pictures right people who live through this skin and bone he talks about you know losing all of his muscle mass and and so weak and if you're you know lagging behind you have no energy and you're so weak and you're trying to carry these really heavy beams through the snow and the freezing and the cold and the pain and you fall behind it all. You're getting whipped and you're getting beaten and, you know, you get taken away to the gas chamber if you can't keep up like this was an everyday reality for these people. And then back into barracks, here they are, you know, just rat infested people, you know, shitting all over themselves and peeing because they just can't even get up to go, outside and huddled together on hard wooden floors to try and keep each other warm and you don't know if you're going to wake up the next day because people you know many people wouldn't wake up the next day they would just die in the sleep and this was a oh my just horrible horrible experience to live and then here they are every day intentionally he's talking about it of You know, talking about the meals that they're eating, right? Like you said in Berlin and what they're doing, and like they they transport themselves mentally, emotionally, visually to an experience where they're feeling good and nourishing themselves and laughing in that experience, you know, transporting themselves out through their conversations and go on and keep telling. But I, I just want to give a little context there for people to realize, like, how terrible terrifying horrific the situation was that he describes that they were in and still being able to to find hope and meaning and and feel some sense of you know joy and and happiness in that kind of situation and it was all up here it was all through you know mental uh mental practice mental visualization mental fortitude hey i just want to pause a second and ask you are you enjoying this episode so far are you getting good value from this content? If so, then I know you're going to absolutely love Healing Life. At HealingLife.net, you get exclusive and premier access to hundreds of the top world's doctors, experts, cancer conquerors, and survivors. Exclusive interviews that I have done with all these experts and doctors uh, that are not available for free online. They're only available at HealingLife.net. Dot net. So not only do you get access to all of those but you actually get to speak with these doctors and experts and ask them any question you want about health and healing and this is available exclusively to healing life members you can try it out for free go to healinglife.net and you can start your free trial there and uh, whether you're interested in learning more about detox or cancer diet and nutrition and nutritional science about diabetes about heart disease autoimmune disease anti-aging, longevity. All of these topics are covered in depth and more are continuing to be added at Healing Life. And again, you get to talk to these doctors yourself. So I invite you to set up a free trial at healinglife.net. And I hope to see you over there. Now, let's get back to the show.
2: Imagination.
1: Yeah.
2: It was our imagination. So, and then I felt better. And then I remembered... Uh, the words of the Native American warrior and chief and holy man Crazy Horse. He had a vision when he was young that if he didn't, um, if he didn't take scalps in battle of his enemy, he would be protected. He would be invulnerable. He had that vision. That was what he believed.
1: If he and didn't he, take scalps or if he did take scalps
2: if he did not if he did not if he did not uh demean his enemy when he killed him, if he did not take scalps, he would be invulnerable. Mm. He had that vision and he when he would go into battle, he would ride in front of everybody and 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 the u s would shoot at him until they were out of bullets. and then when they stopped to the reload, then he would send his braves in to attack them he would it was he was legendary he was always out front. And when, when he would get out front, he would turn to it, he would turn to them all. He would say, "Today is a good day to fight. Today is a good day to die. Strong hearts, brave hearts, to the front. Weak hearts and cowards, to the rear." And I, as I was sitting in that parking lot, feeling good, imagining that that doctor, what if he would called me and said it wasn't that bad? I, I chose that feeling, and then I I, I imagined Crazy Horse, me, me being Crazy Horse, just saying today is a good day to fight. And I said, yes, today is a good day to fight. I felt so empowered. Mm. And I, I never, I was never afraid. And I, I made the decision. I couldn't let the fear of death deny me a greater chance for life. And, and then I went home. I left the doctor's office. I, I drove home. I was never, I had never had doubt, fear or worry again, Nathan, ever again. And, uh, I got on, I got on the internet and thank God in 21 years, 22 years ago for the internet. And I started researching and I, I, and now it's more prominent, but I was beginning to realize there's basically two theories of cancer. Cancer is a genetic disease. There's not a lot you can do about it. It's bad luck or cancer is a metabolic disease. There are certain metabolic dysfunctions which happen, which causes our body to create cancer. Uh, if it's, if it's genetic and bad luck, and I've actually had con- I've actually asked oncologists why why do I get t- why do you get cancer? They reach into their drawer and pull out an article. It's bad luck. They, they actually have other doctors writing articles that cancer is bad luck. And I one doctor gave that to me. And I said, well, I guess I guess the solution is good luck. <laughs> I like that. <to laughs> and and he, I said, well, of course that's a great position to try to place somebody in because when it when there's no real cause, then. Fear comes in my opinion, fear comes from lack of the unknown and feeling out of control, feeling powerless and if if, if you're if you're through sorcery or whatever we want to call it, or positioning or misinformation to be most uh, polite makes one feel powerless that's where fear comes in and make, uh, so so i got on the internet and i and I started researching and I came across. A German doctor scientist named Otto Warburg. Yep. And I I discovered in 1931, 70 years earlier, he won the Nobel Prize for his discovery of the primary cause of cancer. Called the when Warburg saw, effect. Yeah, when I saw that, I said, whoa, this I'm gonna read what this man wrote. And in 1966, Warburg returned to Lindau, Germany, uh, and he gave a Nobel laureate talk in 1966. And in there, he laid it all out. Warburg laid it all out. And uh, basically what Warburg discovered, is I can read, that a normal cell creates energy through use of oxygen. In a, in a process called oxidative phosphorylation. But a cancer cell no longer respirates and creates energy, ATP, through fermentation. And that, that's the way life was, the original life on Earth, billions of years ago. Energy came from the sun, and it, it would, through fermentation, single-cell organisms created energy. About two billion years ago, the great oxygenation event happened on our planet, and because of that, multicellular life was able to be formed. And uh, Warburg talks about that in general, and he basically, in that in that Lindau talk in 1966, he says, "Cancer basically is, it's a form of life that that just because it's it's anaerobes that suck up energy and have all." And lost all meaning of life. And the more I read about that, the more I, I, I realized, yeah, okay. And then in that same article, he says to, to, to give yourself more health, you need to increase the hemoglobin in the body and speed it up so you can get more oxygen to the cells. Well, knowing my hemoglobin was 5.7, I just thought, hey, I need to get more hemoglobin in my body. Because if hemoglobin, because if you're going to heal, you have to have energy to heal. You have to have energy to heal. So then I started researching, and I found out that one year earlier than Orberg, who won the Nobel Prize in Physiology in 1931. In 1930, Hans Fischer, also a German chemist, won the Nobel Prize in Chemistry for his discovery of the similarity between hemoglobin and chlorophyll. And when I, when I looked at the, the molecular similarity between hemoglobin and chlorophyll, the central binding element in hemoglobin is iron; it makes it red. In chlorophyll, the sec- central binding element is magnesium; it makes it green. If you if you were to Google molecular similarity hemoglobin chlorophyll, you'll see everything around it: the hydrogen, nitrogen, carbon atoms; they all line up exactly the same. So, okay, so I need more chlorophyll right. to build to build my hemoglobin to follow what Orberg is saying. And then I came across, um, I did more research. I came across a woman named Ann Wigmore. And mm-hmm. she was talking about wheatgrass. It was very powerful with nutrients, phytonutrients and chlorophyll. So I said, well, I need, I need to get some, I need to get some green juice into my body. And I, uh, the, the Whole Foods Market started here in Austin in 1980 at 12th and Lamar. I used to go to that store when there was one Whole Foods right in 12th and Lamar. And but this was this was a little bit later. It had gone public, I think, since then. But I went to the Whole Foods that was near where I was living, and they were they had wheatgrass, and they were a guy was bringing flats in. They were in uh, restaurant trays. He was growing them, and they were cutting them, and they were throwing the flats away. And I said, hey, because it was expensive to buy shots of wheatgrass, and I needed a lot, I thought. So I said, hey, they were throwing the flat away. And I said, hey, give me that flat. So the next day I went to the restaurant supply and I bought the same trays. And every day I would go and get about three or four flats of wheatgrass and take them home. And I was regrowing them. And I started drinking about six ounces of wheatgrass every day. About two ounces in the morning, two ounces at midday and two ounces later on the afternoon. And then um, I bought a single auger juicer because the champion juicer I had was good at juicing beets And carrots, you know, hard root vegetables, but leafy things, even like celery, won't just wrap around the way a champion works. It does. It's not good for greens. So I bought a single auger juicer, which is very good. A single auger means a a single gear juicer. the 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 auger juicers is usually a twin auger or a single auger. Single auger are either horizontal or vertical, and dual auger, twin auger, are generally horizontal. I bought a single auger, which is very good for greens.
1: They're great. They're they're very slow. And they, as you said, they work great with greens They They also don't heat up the, um, the vegetables when you juice them as well, because it is so slow, the fast, uh, the fast juicers, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll kill some of the nutrients because of the heat. You'll kill some of the enzymes. You'll still get tremendous benefit from it. So it doesn't really matter, but the, the slow juicers are, you know, like for greens and grass and things like that are, are fantastic. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's, it's the only way. It's yeah. the only way to do it, in my opinion. And uh, so then I started doing the regrass. I started making greens, and I would I would put. Um, at that point, I also was online. I discovered Max Gerson. Yep, and he had a. I discovered he had a very effective protocol for healing cancer.
1: Gerson therapy. Yep.
2: And when he was on vacation, he died in 1959, but was he, when he was on vacation in 1956 in Escondido, California, I came across a PDF of a lecture that he gave and what a gift that was. When I read Garrison's lecture, he laid it all out. He laid out his therapy and he, and he, and he, and he laid it all out. He laid out the juices and everything he needed to do. And he also talked about something called parenteral digestion, uh, our entrails, that is our digestive tract, our alimentary canal. So, parenteral digestion is digestion that happens outside of our di- digestive tract. And he said that if you supply enough enzymes, enough fresh, fresh nutrients into the body, they'll go into the bloodstream. And through the bloodstream, the bloodstream will begin to parenterally digest tumors and begin to break them down. And then it takes the, through the bloodstream, that gets taken to the liver, it filtered out, and basically then eliminated from the body. And what in this, this great talk in 1956, Garrison talked about that he had patients dying of liver toxicity because of all the, the breakdown from the tumors that was being parentarily digested through the bloodstream going to the liver. They were dying, and he realized that he started utilizing coffee enemas which which is a way to begin to remove toxins from the liver and get them out of the system. And when he then began utilizing coffee enemas, two, three, four, sometimes more times a day, patients that were dying of liver toxicity now weren't. And they were, he had people coming in that were within, on their deathbed, and eventually they'd be walking out healed. So it was just, when I read about that, and with Warburg, I begin to think, hey. This is starting to make some sense to me. I begin to have this feeling, and and uh, I've done a lot of a lot of reading about philosophy and poetry, and now i realize I have to become a medical expert for myself.
1: Now, did you find all these resources in that ten day period, or how long did it? You right know, now, take?
2: yes or yes. So this this is that ten day period. i mean, 10 I ten day like... that,
1: That's amazing. It took it took me years of like interviewing. Uh, you know, dozens and dozens of world-leading integrative, uh, you know, oncologists and and natural health experts and holistic medical doctors and and inc- you know, incredible healing stories of people like yourself who reverse stage four cancer, and you know, meeting Charlotte Gerson, who is the son of Max Gerson, who continued sure. on his um, you know, she unfortunately passed away just. A few years yeah. ago, yeah. 2019, but she was instrumental in helping keep moving forward the Gerson therapy. You know, learning from these people, it took me years to discover. You know, all, all these different things that, that uh, um, I guess, to go deep into them. So it's pretty amazing that uh, 22 years ago you were able to learn wow. about all of these people in 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 a 10 day period. It's amazing.
2: Well, less than 10 days. But I will say this: necessity <laughs> is a mother. unless necessity, Nathan is a mother of invention yeah when your life's on the line dude there's a lot of motivation to keep well and
1: when you're and and not only that but when you uh have the mindset that you did that said look i am going to do something about this i'm going to find solutions i'm going to stay positive i'm like had you know yeah your life is on the line but had you stayed in that um the fear. victim mentality, the fear. Right. And, and I mean, you had every right to, to be a victim in that sense, you know, but had you stayed in that fearful mentality and that victim mentality, you probably would have discovered none of this. But the fact that you were able to pull yourself out of that, th- turn it into a positive outlook and say, I'm going to find solutions um, is I would I would personally, you know, um, I would say that, that was probably 80 or 90% of what led you to find what you found, which is amazing. Would you agree with that?
2: Well, it's hard. You know, sometimes the knife, it's hard for the knife to cut itself. So yeah. I, looking back, I guess that that's a reasonable position. Um, but to me, it didn't seem amazing. It just seemed, it's just what I did. Hmm. I don't, th- I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to downplay what you're saying. I appreciate that, but it's just, I mean, I mean, it was the, what, what else are you going to do? Lay down and die or let them put you on on a path. That's going to give you greater than 80% chance. You're going to be dead. Anyway. And that's to me, in my opinion, and this, this is the decision I made. Death was not an option. It was just, that was, that was off the table. Like I made myself kind of four objectives. And, and by the way, at that point, I wasn't anti-surgery. I wasn't anti-chemo. I wasn't anti-intervention. I was just anti-death. And I made myself four objectives. I said, I'm, whatever, I said, I give myself 10 days. I said, you know, whatever path I choose, it has to work quickly. Because I don't have a lot of time. It has to be safe because I don't want to die from it. It has to be um, comfortable. But comfortable was low down on my list. I was willing to do anything if it would give me a chance to live quicker and it was safe. It was, if it was discomforting, I didn't care. But when I finally did my final analysis and when it all said and done, the path that I ended up cho- choosing, which I'll go into here, to me was the fastest, was the safest, was certainly the most comfortable. And it gave me the greatest chance of, for life, in my opinion. So, I, uh, so when I discovered Garrison, and Warburg, I started doing the green juicing. And with Garrison, I learned about that. He had, he had two juices he was doing every hour. A carrot apple blend yep. and then a green juice blend. And I was incorporating those, but I was fortifying the green juice with more wheatgrass juice. And then I also came across, I don't know how I came across this, but spirulina. I read the spirulina was very high in chlorophyll. Yep. And I contacted a company. I called them in Hawaii. A company is called Nutrex. Uh, they it used to be organic, but now it's not organic. But they processed it the same way. Just the organic standards changed. But I thought it was a great and I still buy NutriX. I still use NutriX today. Uh, but I talked to a great guy at NutriX. I told him my situation. I've got cancer. The doctors told me I'll be dead in a few months if I don't do something. I want to, I need to get my chlorophyll up. Uh, and he said, I tell you what I'll do for you. I'll set you up as a commercial account, so you can order cases at cost. So I remember I was on, I was on the, I was eventually on the Nutrex website as Bill's Health Food. And actually people were reaching out to me. I want to buy some spirulina. I said, (laughs) actually, actually, I'm not really, I just, I just have, I just have a commercial account. So I was, I was ordering cases of spirulina, six pounds to a case. And I was then consuming, I looked at my protocol sheet. I was actually consuming 60 grams of spirulina a day. Well, 400, 450 is a pound. So I was consuming a lot of spirulina a day.
1: That's a lot of spirulina, and spirulina does not taste very good at all.
2: <laughs> well, and I, I also I also created the statement I wrote for myself: nothing tastes as good as the feeling of being cancer free.
1: I love it. I mean, nothing. That's what, what? that's powerful. That's so nothing powerful. Nothing
2: tastes as good as the. And I put it right on my thing. I put it all in the house. Nothing, because how time many times so are we motivated by taste, by dopamine, and it, it leads us down the wrong path? So exactly.
1: I, I mean, I I, I still drink green juice every single morning uh, to this day. And there were there were times as well when I went on a 100% raw vegan diet and we were juicing massive amounts of, you know, vegetable juice and green juices and lots of spirulina and lots of, you know, binders and toxic removers, and cilantro, things, that, tons and tons of it. Same thing. Like, I really don't care how it tastes. If it doesn't taste that great, to me, it's medicine. It's natural medicine and and i know what it's doing for my body right it's preventing cancer it's helping uh enhance my immune system it's helping to remove heavy metals out of my body and toxins out of my body and what's interesting is the more you um the more you eat you know vegetables and dar- and and bitters and have green juices and things like that actually pretty quickly for me and and many people i've talked to I'd like to know if it was true for you, but pretty quickly, those things actually start to taste significantly better. They'll never taste like a teaspoon of sugar, right? But at first, like the bitters and the, all of that's kind of like, this is not very good. But the more you have it, even in, in a week or two weeks time, um, what I notice is my body was like, oh, I love this. Actually, I, you know, even if the taste is strong, my body feels amazing when I, when I was drinking and when I drink it every day to this day.
2: I would voice the same thing as you. The more that I drank, it, although I will say, even now, drinking two or three ounces of straight wheatgrass, it's tough. Yeah, it's strong. I, it's powerful. I mean, it, rem- <laughs> it, remind,
1: it reminded me, I was doing a ton of wheatgrass a few years back, and it reminded me of uh, you know mowing the lawn when I was a kid. Yeah, it uh, smells just like it. <laughs> it smells just like it. Yeah, and it's it, like it. Yeah, and I actually, I actually liked wheatgrass. I, I, I oh, have I enjoyed. Tell it. You what I love,
2: yeah. I tell, I love wheatgrass. <laughs> I love, I mean, I tell you what, I love life. Yeah. Wheatgrass to me, I, wheatgrass is life. Yeah, I mean, if you ever watch wheatgrass grow, you can almost watch that stuff grow. Yeah, it grows so fast. So, and was, if you're
1: growing it yourself and you're not letting it go to seed, then you can be certain. You know, for people who are worried about gluten. The gluten's only in the seed, right it's not in the shaft,
2: yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and so you don't have
1: to worry about gluten, especially if you're growing it yourself. It's very easy and cheap to grow yourself yeah, too and very then cheap, very, did very you did you did you start with one of those little hand metal wheatgrass juicers?
2: No, I had that electric single auger juicer,
1: so you started with that, okay, yeah, how quickly were you input- impl- so you researched this stuff, and then how soon within that ten days were you drinking juice and wheatgrass and doing all these things how like how quickly
2: well. ASAP, because I can, you know. And coffee
1: hey, enemas, are you doing coffee enemas right away as well?
2: As soon as I read about the Garrison doing that, that's a, yeah, for sure. Hey, yeah. I'm going to do everything I do that's going to, I think gonna, that made sense to me, that aligned with what my inner voice, my inner knowing, my inner knowing just felt right. It just felt like, the really question is so many I'll often is what's the truth? What really is the truth? What we're told or what we experience, but so so Nathan. After I started drinking the uh, green juice, I started I started combining. I did what Garrison said. I had a I had a carrot apple, and I started putting um uh, uh, lemon and ginger in that. I take carrot apple lemon ginger is like oh my god. Oh, is there anything that tastes it's better? Best. It's the I mean is best. That, I mean that, I mean that that the fact that that's good for you is like, I mean wow.
1: Well, the carrot, you know, I mean, it's so high in antioxidants, um, helping to fight free radicals in the body. Apples, were you doing green apples? Usually green apples tend to be more uh, beneficial when you're juicing. Yeah, green apples. And I think that recipe is three large carrots per one apple, uh, if I remember correctly.
2: Yeah, I don't. I'll be honest with you. You're just stuffing it in. Just (laughs) Just put it all in there. Yeah, I
1: I don't blame you.
2: any port in a storm. Just, I mean.
1: And what was your green? And what was your green juice like? So you were doing green juice as well. What were you putting in there? I know there's yeah, a lot. I, I was I doing the, charred. Mm-hmm.
2: Excuse me. No charred dandelion greens, which is good for the liver. Yep. Parsley. Two types of kale. Celery. And I was buying whole beets, and I was putting the beet tops in. Yeah. And. Uh, but I also. And pure green juice is powerful. I mean, it's not that tasty for me. I'm sorry. But you know, hey, I, I would throw it through green I would throw a green apple or so in just to cut the edge from it a little bit because mm-hmm. uh I think it was still good for me. And I will say this, I just came to my mind, Nathan. I know there's a lot of talk now, a lot a lot of very prominent people, that cancer feeds off sugar. And if you don't have any carbohydrates, your body produces ketones. And a ketogenic diet is very anti-cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't disagree that, but I would say I don't think carrots are like on a ketogenic diet. Um, but I, I, to me, it's more what the nutritional benefits are worth the extra calories or whatever that may go against ketogenic. In my in my opinion, my experience.
1: Well, the well the Warburg. If you study the Warburg effect, actually, that's part of what he. Uh, discovered is that cancer cells um, have a massively increased demand for glucose uptake, so right. they feed on sugar now right. what 's interesting in the ketogenic community is they take that statement and the research around that and they they group all sugars the same sugar yeah. and then say all sugar is bad for cancer whether you know they say glucose, whether it comes from vegetables or not. And like carrots, you know, when you juice them, you're going to have a lot more glucose. Uh, if you eat it, you get tons of fiber, right? If you juice them, you get the same with apples and say lots of fructose, lots of glucose in these fruits. So, what's interesting is that if you group them all together as bad sugars, one, you are not taking into account that the fruits and vegetables that have natural glucose and fructose also have a tremendous amount of anti-cancer-like properties like exactly. antioxidants, right, which are helping to combat against free radicals. They have anti-inflammatory properties, many of them, so it's reducing the chronic inflammation that leads to the cancer and that the cancer produces in the body. They have minerals and vitamins and, and uh, phytonutrients and amino acids and all these things that are necessary for the body to regenerate and heal and activate the immune system and fight cancer in the first place. So you can't group them together with all sugars and call them bad sugar you can't group you know uh fresh juice from carrots together with high fructose corn syrup you just can't do it but unfortunately today that's what's happened in a lot of the health community online now i also wouldn't say only drink fruit juice fresh fruit juice right that's why the gerson protocol and many others implement a large amount of green vegetable juices and wheatgrass and spirulina and these kinds of things because what I believe is actually happening is that even though the uh, fructose and glucose that's feeding the cancer cells from the fruit or vegetables that you're juicing, you're also coupling that together with all these incredible anti-cancer properties that are You know, reducing angiogenesis, right? The the new production of blood cells that feed cancer. So they have anti-angiogenesis properties. They have they help induce apoptosis, uh, natural cancer cell death. So you're also bringing food and anti-cancer properties together to destroy the cancer cells and the tumors and the cancer stem cells. Um, which is what's necessary for for cancer to to regrow. So, you know, it made sense that Gerson was having such amazing um, results with his therapies. And it's kind of, I think, a disservice today when people, you know, group these things together, all bad sugars with, you know, things from fresh carrot juice and apple juice, for example, because they're just, they're not the same thing at all.
2: Yes, I think what a lot of people with a ketogenic diet, they use it to lose weight. And if you're losing it, if your goal is to lose weight, then, of course, calories and carbs is going to, if you're just pure ketogenic, just pure ketones, you're going to lose weight faster. But if your goal is to eliminate a chronic disease like cancer, there's other priorities that take effect. Like you say, all the phytonutrients, the phytochemicals that come with those vegetables, those compounds, well offset the disadvantage of some sugar natural sugar that, that was that was my point so how much green
1: juice and and carrot apple juice were you drinking a day uh in the uh, beginning
2: that's a good question i was drinking about six ounces of wheatgrass juice three times a day two ounces two ounces of two ounces i was drinking about 10 ounces of juice about eight to ten ounces every hour i was alternating carrot apple beet ginger and i was also throwing also um uh, let me finish that thought. Carry apple, beet, ginger, and also my green juice. With in my green juice, I was adding spirulina and the wheatgrass. And uh, also, I'd read that capsicum, or what's in hot peppers, was very anti-cancer. So I bought habaneros. <laughs> and juice my favorite
1: hab- <laughs> excuse me my favorite
2: yeah and so i with a single longer juicer i would just put habaneros in and juice and i would catch it and i would pour it into a little dropper that you'd get like you'd get tinctures out of it, a little dropper so i had a dropper i had a bottle full of dropper of habanero juice wow
0: so
2: i would i would do a dropper of habanero into my juice as well and i tell you what dude that would burn going down. I would definitely, I I don't know. It would definitely burn going out. It was like, wow. But again, I kept thinking nothing tastes as good. Nothing feels as good as the feeling of being cancer-free. You know, if it's going to be, it's up to me, let's just get her done. Cause Hey, you know, what's the priority? What's the priority priority is to survive. The priority is to get rid of this thing. It's not, uh, and as Einstein said, you can't fix a problem with the same thinking that created it. So I got to start thinking a different way. So I was incorporating the uh, the habanero with the alternating green green and carrot apple juice, and then incorporating coffee enemas. And at that point, I was starting to feel a lot better, Nathan. How quickly? Three about three or four days after you know I jumped in, I was like, and did you stop eating
1: all other food during this time? Because you're drinking a lot of juice. You're drinking like I don't know a hundred plus ounces of juice a day. So with that, I probably,
2: I probably drank about 90, about three quarts, three to four quarts of juice a day. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and I'll but I hey,
1: I also read. But were you eating? But sorry, back to my question. Were you did you stop eating yeah, any yeah. other food during that time? You're just basically on a juice cleanse or a juice yeah. feast is what I would call it.
2: Yes. I'm, I'm going to address that right now. Thank you. Um being sure I do. Um, I read that it takes energy to digest. To break the fibers down, to break the nutrients out of the out of all the food, but I I just intuitively knew, hey, I it needs to be all hands on deck. All the energy I get needs to go into healing, and juicing juicing is almost like mainlining life. It's like it goes right in. So I just stopped eating solid food. I just did juice, and spirulino. I did I did my green juice, I did my carrot apple juice, I did my wheatgrass juice, I did my spirulina every single day, spread out throughout the day, and I did my coffee enemas morning, noon, and night, every day I did that, and then I started incorporating yoga because I wanted to begin to free up, and I, then I went to a Chinese doctor, and and I learned uh, qigong for the movement, qigong yeah, qigong yeah, and then I, uh, I I began to research herbs. And made started making herbal teas. And uh, the uh, one herb I got was called sangra de Grotto. It's called dragon's blood. It's very good. The Native American, excuse me, the South American Indians use it to coagulate blood. So I put it, I started putting that into an enema with water to hopefully begin to in, stop the bleeding as much from my tumor in my colon. So I could begin to get, the whole goal was to get my hemoglobin up quick. Yeah, yeah. And I'm about to third, of, back to your question, on the third or fourth day, as I started walking up the stairs at my house again, it was like I didn't have to lay down when I got to my bed. And I said, hey, wow, wow. And I, I tell you, as soon as I, as soon as I felt that, Nathan, I can't tell you, there was a spark of hope. You know, wait a minute. Hey, is something really going on here? And I said, wait a minute. I got to be real. I got to be honest with myself because the only truth is going to set me free, literally, path to, to be cancer free, put it this way. And then I I started I started I started exercising. I got where I could I could start riding my bike again. And I remember I I'd, I'd, I'd have to go out and I'd have to walk back somewhere. I, and I started walking again. And after about the eighth or ninth day, no, it was the seventh day after seventh day from getting that first blood test, I started. I was feeling reborn. I mean, I was honestly feeling great compared to how I had been feeling. Seven days earlier, it was like, wow. And I, But in three more days, because I did myself 10 days, when I was going to go see the surgeon again, I was going to go see the oncologist and tell him, am, am I in or am I out? I, it, I, I told them both, I need some time to think this over and I'll get back to you because I know I got to do something. But I want to do my own research too. I want to do my, I basically, my body became my own lab for Hey, what are you gonna do? It's like, hey, you know, what's the alternative? I didn't like the alternative. I I that, you know, and that was not an option. Death was death was off the table, it was not an option. So on the seventh day, I was feeling really good. So I called the doctor back that did the original blood test, and I scheduled another blood test on the ninth day to see if there's I need to know for a fact. I need to look in black and white. Is something really going on inside my body, or am I just placebo? Am I just sort of convincing myself? It felt so real. I felt so much better, and it, it was a fact. I didn't have to lay down, and, and I took the steps up the stairs in my quadriceps, steps. I could start to feel strength in my leg muscles, whereas before they felt weak and I, I wouldn't be able to really push very hard. I would find myself almost bouncing up the stairs, and I, I, that was—I mean—that was not imagination. I mean that was real, but I needed to know for sure because I wanted to be sure when I saw those doctors on the tenth day, I could talk with my own truth experience. And uh, so, would you like me to show those blood tests so people can see exactly what I'm talking about?
1: Yeah, yeah, we can describe them for people who are only listening as well. But um, yeah, well, I, if you want to share, if you want to share your screen, um, go ahead.
2: Okay, let's do that. Let's see here. I'm going to pull this. Can you see this can you see this blood test right here? Yep. Okay, this this was on March 20th, 2001 at 5:02 p.m. I got home and the doctor the nurse called me about 5:30. And uh HGB 5.7. Normal range 13 to 17. And uh and you can see my white blood count is pretty high up there. And my RBC, which is red blood count, it's, it's, it's below. That's, that's, the, that's how many red blood cells you have. HCT is hermetocrit. That's the ratio of red blood to overall blood. It was less than 20. Normal is 37 to 49. And that's how they catch a lot of these Tour de France racers. When when they dope to increase red blood, if their hermetocrit is above 50, they know they're doping because it's not, it's not natural. So mine was 19. So I had no red blood. The MCV uh, and the MCH, MC, thats all about. That's about the uh, the density, how much hemoglobin, how dense the hemoglobin is in your red blood cells.
1: And all those are really, really low, way oh, below, really, way, oh, way below the normal range. Yeah,
2: way, yeah, yeah. Red blood count low, below normal. Hemoglobin below normal. Hematocrit below normal. MCH, MC, MCV, MCHD—they're all all with the hemoglobin. And again, it's the red blood that carries the oxygen. From your lungs, through your arteries, to your cells. So that's exactly right. Okay, so then, now, so I, I went in on the ninth day, and I got another, to get another blood test. And, I, and I, now that I knew that they 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 did the test right there in their office, I uh, I decided I was going to uh, just wait for the blood test, because I really wanted to know what the heck's going on here. So I waited, and about 30 minutes later, she pulls out the blood test, she hands it to me. And here it is right here, March 29th, nine days later, 429, when I looked down HGB and I saw 10.9, I got to tell you, Nathan, even now, God, it's it's hard to keep, I can tell you, dude, when I saw 10.9, hmm. it was like, yes, yes. You, you doubled it.
1: You doubled it in 10 yes. days.
2: Yes. Nine days, dude. And Okay. Let's look here. My uh, let's pull over here.
1: H16 my red blood count up ten points. Red blood count is up.
2: Look, my red, my number of red blood cells went up about almost forty percent. Yeah. My hemoglobin almost a hundred percent. My hematocrit um about seventy five percent. The amount of the, the, the amount of um uh. Hemoglobin inside my cells went up. Uh, but look here, my white blood count before was nine point two. Now it had drop to three point seven. Mm, yeah. But, but 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 look at my lymphocytes and my monocytes, my my really my my army, my my hey my Your immune system warriors, my warriors, yeah. my warriors yep. went from ten point nine to twenty seven. My monocytes went from two point two to six point one. Dude, they all,
1: they all got activated. Yeah.
2: Oh, it was like hey. All it was just waiting for me to do something about it. <laughs> man, when I when I saw this blood test, man, I can't tell you. It was like I, I you know what? When I saw that, I almost broke into tears during the doctor's office.
1: That's amazing.
2: Because I mean you're talking about life. We're talking about we're not talking about trimming your fingernails, we're talking life and death. And when I saw that, when I saw that, it was like, oh yeah. But you know what? Even though this this result here, the hemoglobin going from five point seven to 10, even though that was wonderful, more important, Nathan was knowing that what I was doing was working. Right. I was at that point. I felt like I did when I was in that parking lot when I thought a crazy horse. You know, today is a good day to fight. I said yes. At that when I saw that ten point nine, I said, "Hey, I was one." hundred percent certain that I was going to be cancer free. It, it didn't matter what I needed to do. I knew that I was on a path. I knew that there was something working here and whatever it was, I was going to make it. I was going to, if I'd gone, I I had no doubts. And I think that confidence of knowing that, that, that I, it, to me that, that, that knowing that is super powerful. Hmm. because because to me it's when it, you know and by the way we'll go on to a little bit later but I, I identified to myself seven you know warburg's primary cause of cancer the, the loss of the oxidation in, in the fermentation of the cells uh, causing causing uh, and also it's a dysfunction in the mitochondria we can talk right. about that a little bit later right. also. but i did all this research because hey it was like hey you got it hey as a hippocrates says if you're not your own doctor you are a fool I'm not saying go get a medical degree, but hey, learn about what your body, learn what it needs, because, hey, the, the greatest health care is self-care. At least being knowledgeable about it. and Don't just take people's opinion when it's your life on the line. So when I saw that um, 10.9 and knew that, I felt so good. And then I, uh, so the next day, the 10th day, now I went back to see the surgeon, and I had my two blood tests. And I went in to see the surgeon. He said, okay, you're ready for surgery. I said, this is exactly the way I said it. This is exactly what went down. I'm not so sure. Take a look at this. And I showed them both the blood test. And he looked at them both and he said, I am so glad you got a transfusion. I was so worried about you. <laughs> and I said, I didn't get a transfusion. He said, well, what'd you do? I tried to tell him about <laughs> Fisher and the science within this.
1: I can imagine how that conversation went right yeah. now.
2: <laughs> oh, I, I, it was, it was just this, 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 that has, this is a mistake. This is impossible, but it wasn't. Did you, like t- I,
1: did you tell him? Yeah. I'm doing wheatgrass juices and green juice and this and and carrot and apple juice. And I'm doing this. and And did you tell him all of it? And what was his response?
2: Well, no. When someone says there's a mistake, this is impossible. You know, I realize it's very hard for someone to believe something when their education, their life's work and their financial future depends on not believing it. Right. At that point in time, it's like talking to the wind. Yeah. But all I know was I wasn't ready for surgery. And Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote, do not go where the path may lead. Go instead where there is no path and leave a trail. And I, at that point, I realized I need to make my own path here. So I, I left. And then I got in my car and drove right over to the oncologist because I'm scheduling back to back. So I went in to see the oncologist, and I was waiting in his patient room, and he came in. Before I could say anything, he started talking to me. He said, hey, I talked to uh, somebody in MD Anderson in Houston. And there's a great surgeon there that can do that can help you with your liver. They can do a liver resection. He started talking to me about getting my liver resected, and then he started talking to me about chemotherapy. And because he knew I'd just come from the surgeon, so he said, "So when did you schedule your surgery?" And I, and this is this is exactly, I didn't schedule my surgery. And to be honest, I'm not so sure I'm going to take a look at this. It's exactly the way I said it, that same tone. That was exactly it, Nathan. And he looked, and he was not only an oncologist, but a hematologist. So when he looked at those, the March 20th and then the March 29th, his eyes were going back and forth, back and forth. I like can see he was, and he he was really able to dig down, not just the hemoglobin. He, he explained to me by, hey, you've got more red blood cells. They're bigger. There's more, they're more dense, and there's more hemoglobin in, in, in them. He said, what do you do? So I started talking to him about, you know, the similarity between hemoglobin and chlorophyll and and that's, and he said, I've seen things. I'd have to call a miracle. And I have to put this over to that category. And that was a lot different reaction than the other doctor. And at that point, as I was sitting in an oncologist's office, it came to me inwardly again, what to do. And I said to the oncologist said I think I'm onto something here. I'm not quite sure where it's going to lead me, but I like the direction I'm headed. I'm feeling better. I'm not going to do what you think I should do. But even though I'm not, would you please still see me every three or four weeks, run tests on me to be sure I just don't go off and kill myself.
1: That's really smart. Really smart thing to do.
2: Because I knew I needed, Hey, I can't call the radiologist and say, Hey, give me a CT scan. Give me an ultrasound. I, I need a doctor to order these things. I need to have somebody on my team that was a willing participant that was willing to at least become part of my team because it's important to build a build a team that you trust that's aligned with your with your life. So I, and he said, to his credit, he said yes, and uh, I appreciate him. And I'll, I'll say this: the diagnostic tools. I think are very good. Now, the interpretation of the tools, that's another issue. But the tools themselves, I wanted the information so I could figure out. I can, I got where I could really understand this stuff. And stuff I couldn't understand. I would ask him, what's this mean? What's that mean? Okay, how's that? I got where I just used. I used the doctors as a vehicle to help educate myself about my own health, my own path and, and to, to get cancer-free. So the, so then I left his office. And then I went back. The next day, I started researching again. And I came across Dr. William Donald Kelly. And I started reading, and I I was able to download his book, One Answer for Cancer, online. And uh, he started talking about proteolytic enzymes, which are protein digesting enzymes. And the theory I read, and he he had read uh, a Scottish embryologist named John Beard back in the early 1900s. And he had done a lot of research testing cancer with with proteolytic enzymes and how they began to uh, expose cancer cells. So the immune system could begin to zero in and start attacking the cancer cells. And, and uh, I, I, what I, but Dr. Kelly was also doing the juices from Garrison. He was doing coffee enemas. So there there was some commonality there, but this idea of the proteolytic enzymes with Dr. Kelly, this started making a lot of sense to me. And, And I said, you know what? I think I'm I'm pulling stuff together. I'm feeling good about this path I'm bringing together here, and and so then I started I got online, started researching proteolytic enzymes, because I wanted the best protein digesting enzyme, and uh, I uh, I came across this one company and I called them on the phone. And I was talking to the the guy I was talking to the the, the man I was talking to on the phone. I said, Yeah, I'm looking for the best proteolytic enzyme. I read a book called One Answer from Cancer by Dr. William Donald Kelly. And I want to get, and I started talking about Dr. Kelly, and he made comments back about Dr. Kelly that I hadn't told him. I said, You seem to know a lot about Dr. Kelly. I mean, how do you know so much about Dr. Kelly? And it's like silence. And then he said, He's my dad. <laughs> I, I can't, you know what? There's a great quote When you make a commitment, providence moves to bring you what you need. Hmm. Unseen forces come to help you with material all things come and i think again this gets back to the spirituality there's stuff going out out there that we make a commitment forces come to bear to bring to us what we can need if we're open to that and we and we live in a life of expectancy does that make sense nathan
1: 100% i mean and so excuse me sir I was just saying a hundred percent. I've seen it in my own life so many times that when I Absolutely. make a, a heartfelt commitment towards something, whether it's my health or, you know, my children or, you know, something in my business, whatever it is, a really heartfelt commitment. And I get focused on it and passionate about it and committed to it and take action every day. And I'm thinking about it. That's what happens. Doors open and, you know, I meet people and conversations happen and things start to line up, but it requires that you know sense of commitment and focus and determination and taking action in that direction um, and i've seen it you know dozens of times in my own life so i i truly truly believe it and then i've really feel it and see the universe comes to support you in your uh what you're trying to achieve
0: on,
2: on, on, exactly exactly so i said uh you're dr kelly's son i'd sure like to talk to dr kelly you mind giving me his phone number? Quiet again, and he said, do you have a pen? So I wrote Dr. Kelly's phone number down. I looked on online for area code, and I can see it was, it, was, it was out in the country and somewhere in Kansas. So the next day, and I wish I had recorded the phone call, but I remember it like it was five seconds ago. I called this phone number, and it rang and it rang. It rang like 20 times. But I, kept, I was on the phone. It kept, I kept ringing. And finally, I heard this voice go, hello? Very gruff. Um, may I speak to Dr. Kelly, please? Who's calling? And why are you calling? <laughs> Just like that. And I subsequently had researched Dr. Kelly that learned that he had been termed a quack. He had been driven out. He'd been hounded. And to me, from my experience, what I know, which is considerable, he is a giant in the metabolic cancer therapy cures. The man, the man is my hero. The man is my hero. What a great guy. What a great guy. So um I said I introduced myself. I said, Dr. Kelly, my name is Bill Bevins. I read your book. I actually was searching for proteolytic enzymes and I found your son. And your son gave me your number. I really like to talk to you. I said, you know, I've talked to doctors. They they told me I've got stage four colon and liver cancer, and they've given me six months to live. And they told me even if I do everything they want, the odds of me surviving five years is still less than twenty percent. And I don't believe them. I'm having good success, and uh, I wanted to talk to you uh, to see what, so I can talk to you, sir. And at that point, once he realized that I was sincere, he flipped. He was so nice. He was so nice, so warm, so engaging. And to talk to Dr. Kelly, what, what? again, that whole thing, when you make a commitment, life brings you, I mean, can you imagine, first off, life, I'm on that golf course, and the voice, inner voice says, go catch those guys. And the yeah. guy tells me, you got a problem with your liver? I would have never known that. That guy was a medic. I mean, it was his job during the Vietnam War to save people's lives in battle. And there he was saving I wish I knew that. I Wish I could thank that guy right now. I would, I might know that guy in my life at I, I medic back on the golf course. Mm. And and then and then what are the odds of me calling a calling a company and getting Dr. Kelly's son? I mean, what, I mean, what are the chances of that? And I'm and I'm talking to Dr. Kelly. I mean, who is a giant in my opinion? I mean, and so I talked to Dr. Kelly, and we had a great conversation, and he was talking about the conspiracy with enzymes. He thought chymotrypsin was really good, and it was a conspiracy against chymotrypsin. Uh, he liked. He thought ch- chymotrypsin was a very good proteolytic enzyme. And then uh, I remember he he said, "Son, uh, you just do everything we've talked about here, son. You're going to be just fine. You don't worry about it, son. You're going to be just fine." And Dr. Kelly, he was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer, which is the worst of the worst. Right. Like at that at that time, like fifty thousand were diagnosed every year, fifty thousand died every year.
1: Yeah, very aggressive um, and and very very uh yeah. and bad he prognosis healed, for most
2: people. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty much always always fatal. Yeah, and very a lot of famous movie stars have have died from that. Um and uh, so he healed he healed himself with this protocol and 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 him telling me I'm going to be just fine. It carried a lot of weight. That's so, was... so was
1: the protocol that he he used and that he recommended to you was basically everything you were already doing plus proteolytic enzymes, or was there a lot more that you added?
2: Well, that's a great question, Nathan. And I didn't record the call, but I remember I didn't do anything different. I told him everything I was doing. He said that sounds good, son. That sounds good. Just keep doing that. Uh then he was. But one thing he really talked about. He talked about the pancreas. The pancreas, whereas with Gerson, the liver was the really, really the most important organ to keep the, through the parenteral digestion, to break down the tumors through the bloodstream, carrying to the, to the liver, to, to keep detoxing the liver with coffee enemas. Dr. Kelly thought that the pancreas was really, really important. I remember, And he told me, son, you just do everything we've talked about here and you go to your doctor's funeral. That's exactly what I did. I went to my doctor's funeral. Wow uh and uh and did I remember, you did you
1: add in proteolytic enzymes at that point or no
2: yeah absolutely sir absolutely okay. i got proteolytic enzymes and uh then i shifted to the Nutricology brand uh they were organic out of like new zealand or somewhere like that i don't remember i think that might have been pork or lamb but i was i was concerned about that i was concerned about the, the, the high quality proteolytic enzyme. And i believe i was taking 36 a day, six at a time, three hours apart. I take six, I had my, I don't hear it here right now. I had my protocol sheet. I had a spreadsheet I built out from 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. Every hour, what I would do every single hour. I had it all laid out, just going through it all. Six o'clock enzymes, nine o'clock enzymes, 12 o'clock enzymes, three o'clock enzymes, six o'clock enzymes, nine o'clock enzymes, made all out. And, and I had what I was doing doing my juices when I was doing my animals i got and I also then started incorporating herbs and herbal teas um very and i there was a uh, Hoxie formula I looked at what was in the Hoxie formula burdock root and you know, all sort of things and i started i started getting my own herbs and making my own combination of teas chaparral, which is very very powerful chaparral burdock root, yellow dock red blossom. No red clover blossom. Um, there was six uh, herbs I was putting in. Again, because we can get a lot of phytonutrients through herbs and teas. We can't get through food. And these are very powerful anti-cancer chemicals. What were you so, doing
1: with your food? So so obviously you no did food. for that no 10 food. days, you were doing all juice. But for how long did you go on that juice feast with no food? 90. So you did 90 days. Okay.
2: 90 days. And what happened and,
1: after 90 days? When you well, went back in and got your, did you, you went and got retested? You got your test done after 90 days, right?
2: What, what test are you talking about?
1: Did you, when did you go, when did you go back in for your uh, follow up with your oncologist to get your, well,
2: okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I was getting blood tests, but I couldn't get my hemoglobin much over around 12. It would get up to 12, which was still a little bit low. But during that time on just the, Carrot apple juice, green juice, spirulina, and wheatgrass. I got on my bike again, and I started riding again. And I mean, Lance Armstrong Armstrong trained out here in the Austin. He he used to live in Austin. It's very good training for bicycles. I got where I could ride fifty miles through the Texas hill country on my bicycle with just the juices and spirulina. And I wasn't taking protein powder. wasn't doing any of that. Just wow. giving my body what it needed and taking out of it what it didn't need.
1: Did you have? Were you overweight at that point? What was your body weight like? And did you lose a lot of weight or did you maintain weight? What was that like?
2: That's a great question, Nathan. When I was diagnosed, I weighed around 203 pounds. When I finished, I got down to 150 pounds.
1: And how, how tall are you?
2: Six feet zero
1: okay, so you were pretty so pretty skinny at one fifty um but uh two hundred at one fifty, you know if that's muscle or if that's fat, that makes a big difference. i mean two hundred at six foot, so I don't know it was that uh mostly excess fat or was there you had a lot of muscle
2: I had excess weight on the strip, so to speak, yeah yeah so, yeah it, it was because you know if if I had if I didn't have that, if I had been eaten properly, it might not have ended up where I did Sure. of course that that was also a combination of not proper improper rest and stress and all those other things but yeah so i i got where but when I was seeing the doctor and I see an oncologist about every three to four weeks, he was getting reports and writing them, and I would look at them, and he was writing there, you know I've advised Mr. bevins that metastatic colon cancer is almost always fatal, and he should he was trying to advise me to do the conventional approach because I mean, it was his job
0: because he
2: would make make sure that somebody in his care, he was advising advising with what he should do.
1: Well, there's part, part of that is a caring doctor. And the other part is, is Dr. Francisco Contreras has told me, who is a medical doctor who implements an integrative approach. He has a clinics in, in Mexico actually, because they can do a lot more there that they can't do in the U S he says, look, we're, we're trained. We have to say these things to you as a patient to cover ourselves for insurance. Because if exactly. you die and I don't tell you this, then I can get sued. So right. a lot of that is just to cover themselves for insurance in case you die. You know,
2: right? Exactly. It's it's a business. Yeah, I, I get that. So I.
1: But um, sounds I, like he cared about you, though.
2: He was a good man, and, and ironically, I just thought of this: a good friend of mine was diagnosed with stage four melanoma. And they came to me. They knew my story. I told them what they could do. And their doctor was the same oncologist. Mm. Interesting. And uh, it saddens me to think about it, but she's no longer with us.
0: Mm. Uh,
2: But I respect everybody's right to choose their own path of what they want to do because it's their life. But um, I trusted my body by giving it by giving my body a chance. And I think that's because, I think it's Albert Schweitzer, the the doctor, Albert Schweitzer, he's got a great quote. We doctors, we do nothing. We can only help encourage the doctor within. So it's, it's nature. It's the body that heals. A good doctor can encourage that, but it's the body that heals. It's a matter of us setting up the, the conditions in our body so it can heal. And I think healing comes from the right rest, growing the stress, boosting our immune system, incorporating um, phytonutrients and phytochemicals that are going to help either uh, diminish angiogenesis, the blood supply to the tumors, uh, just all, all these things. And the coffee enemas to help the, the liver so the liver can begin breaking things down that comes through the bloodstream. And, and just flooding the gut, bloodstream with nutrients, with fresh, live enzymes from juices. And if you're incorporating, which I did, the proteolytic enzymes, you have more enzymes that are helping uh, with, with breaking down of the cancer, the tumors, so the immune system can begin to target it. And, uh, and that's why I believe, and I, I'm sure if Garrison would hear he would agree. And he does it. He says it in that 1956 PDF article when, on, on his vacation in Escondido. That's why he he incorporated the coffee enemas. So I believe if someone is using proteolytic enzymes and they're effective in breaking down the tumor and going to liver, it's absolutely essential that they they do a lot of coffee enemas because Garrison had patients dying of liver toxicity until he started using a lot of coffee enemas. So I think that is just an essential thing in part to to balance the scale, to, to balance this breaking down but getting out quickly. Yeah, to take, to take the load off the body. But all of this, all, all, this came to me not, now. I'll say this right now: all of this is well and good, but and I, and I I've seen YouTubes of very famous doctors saying things like, you know, if we could just get people to do a water fast or fast, we we could help cure this stuff. And that's the key. Um, it was, uh, I think, it was. Um, Nathan, are you familiar with who Max, Max Planck? Yeah. Okay. The father of quantum mechanics, quantum physics. Uh, he's one of my heroes. <laughs> I, I, I like Max Planck. Max, Max said, uh, let me see what Max said. I've got a quote here by Max. Uh, Science cannot solve the mystery of nature. And that is because in the last analysis, we ourselves are a part of the mystery we're trying to solve. And Hippocrates, the father of medicine, he said, "It's more important to know what sort of person has a disease than what sort of disease a person has." Both of those great men are coming up from the same point of view. It's 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 to the individual. You have to it, you have to. Uh, and Max Planck he Max Planck also said, um, basically, spirit is the original basis of all matter reality and true existence. That's Max Planck, we're one of the foremost physicists ever. German says, German
1: f- German physicist, scientist, right? Bring, yeah, it, it yeah. Sa- same with Einstein. Einstein had a strong belief in affinity well, for a spiritual dimension. I, it's it's funny actually, how science has become this dichotomy away from the spiritual when in fact for, well, for a very long time science exactly. and spiritual were were very much, you know, molded were very well, much in harmony together.
2: Absolutely, Nathan. As a matter of fact, Max Planck was there in Berlin, and he got handed a paper by some patent clerk and Baron, and he read it. And he said, "Hey, this guy's, this guy's on something. Let's get him up here." That guy was Albert Einstein.
0: <laughs> so,
2: so Max Planck is the one that basically brought. I mean, I mean, I mean, when Max Planck died, Albert Einstein, he, he was, you know, he Einstein held Planck in the very highest regard of anybody. But 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 and and Einstein had said. Imagination is everything. It is the preview of life's coming attractions. Imagination is everything. It's the preview of life's coming attractions.
1: I actually have that on a quote on a picture of Einstein uh, right over here um, in my office because it's it's such a powerful quote that he said. But I want to ask you because we're actually – we only have a couple of minutes left. From what I understand of your story, how long? It was six months, right? Is that accurate? You were. It took about six months of this before you were considered completely cancer-free. Is that right?
2: Well, no. That's a good question. Or how long? Um,
1: or how long did it take? Yeah.
2: Yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't know we were. I, I, was, I thought we had more time. I apologize. I'll
1: uh be- yeah. I mean, I, I actually, we're. I'd love to do a follow-up part two. Um, but, well, because well, there's so much more I'd like to ask you too. But unfortunately, well,
2: that, that, that's cool. I'm here. At I'm here. Um for you and for anyone who would like to listen uh, also. um, But after about six months, I was getting scans and my tumor was getting smaller and smaller and I was getting stronger and stronger. And then honestly, I began to get tired of being so hardcore,
0: mm.
2: not tired, but Hey, you know, after 90 days of juice, I started I, I, ketogenic and all that. I didn't know what that meant then. I just Googled, I knew that cancer fed off sugar. So I Googled low glycemic foods with the glycemic index. So I, so I figured I want foods that don't spike my sugar, don't, don't feed the cancer, but also can give me nutrition. Uh, and I think there's uh, Joel Furman has got a great formula H equals N over C. Health is nutrition over calories, which is, less, I take that almost like E equals MC squared. Yep. That's a simple, profound relationship. And that's actually what I looked at. I said, okay, what can I bring in that's gonna give me the most nutrition for the least amount of and it was it was it was basically raw. I, I did all raw, no meat, no meat, no dairy, uh all raw and salads and soups. And now um Garrison did have oatmeal in the mornings for people. So I had oatmeal with with fresh berries, blueberries and strawberries. I would have that in the morning with my juices and then and then salads and then but and also one thing Dr. Kelly told me, if everybody, if, if it would stop eating meat after 6 p.m., half a cancer would go away. Hmm. That's that what Dr. Sense. Kelly told me. And uh, so after about eight or nine months, I deviated. It was like six, six or seven months. I, I started eating some pastas and some other foods that I enjoyed. And the next CT scan, my tumor, I think, went from four centimeters to seven centimeters went bigger. I said, Oh God, I was so disappointed in myself. I can't, can't tell you, Nathan. And then I, I it was, it was like October from, it's like seven months later, six or seven months later, I called the surgeon back. I said, Hey, I want to do surgery. Cause I had this tumor in me and I didn't know it was, I, Hey, I didn't have a crystal ball and I couldn't gear back up to my protocol and maybe break it back down again. But Hey, I just figured, let me get this thing out of here right
1: now. What what was the size when you started, and then what was the smallest it had gotten down to?
2: Well, four – I looked at the medical reports because you had asked me if I had any. I looked at them, and I think it got down to four centimeters. I think it was up to 10 centimeters. So
1: started at 10. You basically shrunk it down over about, half, shrunk about, it.
2: Yeah, and then it went back up to about four. But but so I called I called the surgeon, and he, he told me after the fact, when he called me, he he was sure I was a goner. He. he he was sure because he—he's you know he's.
1: This was ten months later, right?
2: No, this was about seven months later.
1: Seven months later, okay. Yeah, and he gave mm-hmm. you six months to live if you did nothing.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you and felt so...
1: amazing. You shrunk yeah. the tumor by over half.
2: Right. Yeah. So, but but then right. but then I uh, but then but then it got, I it, it deviated somewhat. I deviated my diet, and uh, then I, I called him up. When
1: you say you added sorry. When you say you added pasta back in, what? What were the things that you added? Did you add in meat, dairy, any cheese, pastas? What like what? What were the things that you added in, and what were the things you stopped doing? For yeah, that no, that's time? That,
2: that's that's a great question, and I'm I'm as straight as the day is long, and I don't remember exactly, to be honest with you, but I know I wasn't eating meat. That, that's for sure. I wasn't eating meat, uh, but I remembered it was just. I remember what I recall mostly is pastas. That's what I remember is pastas.
1: And did you stop like a lot of the juicing and all of that as well? Or were you doing some of it? Most of it.
2: Some, I stopped as much though. You stopped, I wasn't,
1: a, you stopped a lot stopped, of it.
2: Stopped Stopped as much. Yes. I stopped it. I, I, I deviated somewhat. And, but and when, when I saw it get bigger, I figured, okay, this may be a ticking time bomb. Let me go ahead and get this thing out of here and move forward from there. So I called, called the surgeon and he scheduled the surgery. And I said, after the fact, he said, I I was sure you were gone or I, but then he did tell me after the fact, when he cut me open to do the, the resection of the, the tumor that was there in my colon, he said he expected to cut me open take one look, close me up, and send me home to die. Mm. But he said when he opened me up, he was shocked. There was this mass. The biopsy said it was it was cell necrosis. It was a bunch of dead cells. He said it looked like a calloused mass that was there. He it's,
1: it's so common, actually, with people with the same story where they change their diet, they juice, they bring in the fresh greens, they they do all the anti cancer holistic protocols. The tumor is still there or even it may have grown. Uh, there was a woman who had breast cancer, same exact thing. She got kind of scared. You know, she'd been doing this for I don't know, ten months or something or a year and she got convinced to go have the surgery anyway. And when they did the surgery, that's exactly what it was. It was tumor necro the the tumor had basically the body was destroying the tumor from the inside out, and that's that's what happens. It just takes time. It takes time. You know, it, it took time it, for it, it to form. It takes time it for it time. to.
2: And, and mm. I, I can't. Yes, I agree totally. If I can't live parallel universes, sure, I'm am f- firmly convinced. If I had just stayed the course, then according to what Garrison had said, my body would have continued parentarily breaking that down and would eventually just take it out of my system.
0: Hmm. Uh,
2: but I didn't do it and I, but, but, but I had the surgery and one oncologist, the first oncologist, he didn't recommend chemotherapy. I got I went and talked to a second oncologist and he was a wolf in sheep's clothing. He was very close to my house and he had a Chinese doctor working for him. He had a nutritionist working for him. He he knew every button to push, just what to say to get me in. And then he, uh, He said, no, you you need to have, you need chemotherapy. I said, well, I heard chemotherapy was dangerous and it was very debilitating and it can make you ill. He said, no, it's very mild. You'll hardly notice it. It's very safe. I said, oh, really? So I went back to the first oncologist and I said, you know, this guy said that. He said, what do you recommend? He said, 5-FU. And and I said, said, 5-FU. And the first oncologist, 5-FU. I had two patients die of that in the last 90 days. Uh, so okay i got one oncologist saying he, I, he doesn't think i need chemo second cause i do 5-f-u he said it'll be fine so the the first oncologist said i'm going to send you to a third oncologist because i can tell you're conflict let's get a third opinion so i go see the third oncologist and i said hey um here's all my information he said you know the, and ironically and that this is going to sound contrived i swear to god this is the truth my mother here; she can back me up but she's she's not with us anymore but um my mother had gone to a pharmacist to get his prescription fulfilled this very day. But I mean, what are the chances of this? Again, that serendipity of life, bringing you what you need, you can help you if you make the commitment. She'd gone to the pharmacist and she said she got a prescription. And somehow she said to the pharmacist, you know, my son has um, been told he needs the chemotherapy, but he's not sure. He's getting conflicting opinions. And unsolicited, this pharmacist told my mother, there's one oncologist in this town. He is a chemo money machine. And his name is, it was the same name of the second oncologist that told me 5-FU was no problem. I mean, I said, mother, that's the guy. So I go see the third oncologist. And he said, you know, there's, and he used the same term. There's only one oncologist in this town that would recommend 5-FU and tell you that. His name is the same doctor.
1: <laughs> they all knew him.
2: <laughs> they, they all knew him. And and I back about two years ago, I figured I would start writing a book. Uh, I wanted to make sure that, hey, I'm. People know I'm cancer free. So I went back to the same oncologist and I said, whatever happened to that guy? Oh, sorry. he's no longer with us. He was, he was a psychopath. Mm. So there's one oncologist calling another oncologist, a psychopath. Wow. And it, it, it's, it's scary. I feel so sorry for people, but I just say, I would say, educate yourself, get the truth, go in really what feels right and give your body a chance. Just give your body a chance. Don't let the fear of death deny you a better chance for life. That's what I would say from my experience. Now, I can't tell another person what they should do, but that's I'm glad that's what i I did so so then so I didn't do anything else it was it and about six months to a day after I started having abdominal pain, and I didn't know what it was and then one morning, about three in the morning, it was so severe, I was curled up on the bathroom floor, and I got the phone and I called the surgeon. I said, I'm in extreme pain. It was three in the morning. I guys his so He called me back about four in the morning to his credit. He was a great, he was a great, he was a good guy. I and mean, he was a very excellent surgeon. I chose him. So I had confidence in him. He was a really good guy. And I still go see him for colonoscopies. Cause if you're getting into colonoscopies, better have a colorectal surgeon do it because they're the most expert and they're the most trained. If anything should happen unexpected, that's the guy that can deal with it right there, then there. So, um, so I, I said, I've got it. He said, go on down to the emergency room. I'm going to call them. We'll get some tests scheduled, and I'll be done at about six thirty, and we'll see what's going on. So I did that, and he came out at six thirty, and he said, "Where I sewed you together, it came apart. Mm. My colon, my colon had come apart, wow. and and it was so so much pain. And I, I remember I said. Uh, I've got a really busy day today. Uh, can you give me some pain pills? Maybe we can take care of this tomorrow. <laughs> you don't understand.
1: Yeah, you're gonna die yeah. if you don't get your colon yeah, yeah, sealed if, up right now. If,
2: we, if I don't do this now, you won't you will not be here tomorrow. I <laughs> I'm mean, busy. I'm
1: busy today. Give me some pain pills, please. Yeah, you're excreting uh excrement into
2: your bloodstream. You know, I just need some pain pills. <laughs> uh, I can't. It, I mean, I've had severe it is pain. I mean, I can't, I mean, oh my god. Okay, so so he sold me back together. That's so why I had a second surgery because the first one came apart. And then six months, about five months after that, I was, no, actually about three months after that, I was lifting some heavy boxes and I tore all those stitches and I had to have a hernia operation. So it was because I had that one surgery. I ended up having three. Mm. Uh, the third one was on me because I was lifting things I shouldn't have lifted, but I firmly believe if I stayed the course, I would have needed, would not have needed surgery at all. But you we don't know.
1: Back. We don't know. We can't yeah, go back, yeah, but you oh, didn't. But so the question is, uh, or it sounds like you, you didn't do any chemotherapy or radiation. Correct. Correct. And then what happened to the the metastasis to the liver and to the lymph nodes? Oh, whatever when, happened with that?
2: When he cut me open, oh, he did take some lymph nodes out initially. They're all tested. No cancer. And the, the, the liver, he looked at it, was all clean. Wow. He, he was amazed how it all all clean. Although I it, did we re- Excuse me, go on. I was going
1: to say, it makes sense with the protocol you were doing because the lymphatic system is the... You know, the garbage removal system from the body, it's a big part of removing, uh, you know, waste byproduct from the body as well as, uh, you know, activating um, uh, immune cells that that help to target and kill cancer cells. And so, you know, the lymphatic system, basically the, the lymph nodes get swollen they uh, can be they be, they can become cancerous because the cancer cells are just moving through the lymphatic system so excessively. But if you're cleaning that out with all the green juice and the wheat wheatgrass juice and the antioxidants, anti-inflammatories, and all the anti-inflammatories. things you were doing, it makes sense that you cleared that up through your lymph uh, lymph nodes, your lymphatic system, as well as as through your liver. I mean, it just you know, right. it makes
2: sense. Yeah, exactly. So I um, so that's that that's that, and I. Uh, I, uh, that was 20, March be 22 years.
1: And you're 70, what, six?
2: 71? Well, 71? 20, almost.
1: Almost Very 71. Soon. Almost. And, you know, 22 years here later after being told, you know, you had six months, 20, less than 20% chance lives.
2: Give me a break five years
1: or six months. Here you are. And you, and honestly, you know, you look like you're in your fifties, maybe low sixties, right? Like you look healthy, you look vibrant. Well, I you am look,
2: yeah, I am. I, I am. And what I do now, I've enrolled myself into a coaching program with a bunch of retired Navy seals. And I love, I love <laughs> those guys are the real deal. <laughs> and, and, I, and I, you know, they really live the principles. I mean, you, you can you can't talk what they do, and you can't be us your way through that. I like, you know, because the, the physical body is a temple of soul, a temple of the soul. So, and those guys, those guys are great. I like those guys, and it really. Uh, but but um, the the most important things I think for people is to make that commitment, and to have you know, as Einstein, imagination is everything. It's the preview of coming attractions. And when imagination comes up against your willpower, imagination always wins. So you just recently wrote a book. It didn't appear. you researched, you imagined it could happen, and then you believed you could do it, and you you took action, and it happened. So everything we create, whether it be a book, whether it be a cancer-free body, first starts inside as an as an image, I can do it. That's the creative process. That's from as above, so below. That's And it's through oxygen. That's one thing that Warburg talks about in 1966 Lindau talk. He talks about oxygen is what creates work. Uh, and uh, actually two years ago, I was diagnosed with COVID. And I was in the hospital 10 days. And because I had severe pneumonia, and they, uh, I couldn't extract oxygen from the air. Mm. And uh, when I uh, this 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 Navy SEAL coaching program I'm in, the head guy, he's got this uh, mantra that he used to get himself through BUDS training. He graduated number one in his SEAL class. He was the honor man. And when it was got really tough, he would go, "I'm feeling good. I'm looking good. I ought to be in Hollywood, no matter how hard it got." His instructors were trying to beat him down. I'm feeling good. I'm looking good. And and when I was in when I was in the hospital with COVID, and uh, I was completely, I, I went there for one hour for a mo- monoclonal antibody infusion therapy, I thought. But when they discovered I had severe pneumonia, they wouldn't let me leave. I was there for 10 days. I thought I was there for one hour. And it was like I was taken to the top of a Tibetan monastery for 10 days. It was great. The insights I got were so, my point here is, Getting COVID was one of the greatest experiences I've had, second only to cancer.
0: Hmm.
2: Cancer was one of the most positive experiences of my life. Now, who would think that? Who would think that cancer is positive? But I would say, if people, when they get diagnosed, project themselves forward, knowing what the outcome can be, visualize the outcome you want, and then take the steps every day to manifest that outwardly. Hmm. Live inwardly in the the wish fulfilled and manifest it. I would say that's the most important thing. So... And if you want, in, in a lot of these, so that's one thing I'll pass on. I think it's super critical. I think in, in terms of what I identified as the underlying causes of cancer was poor attitude. It's the viewpoint. It's stress. It's lack of rest. It's poor diet. It's lack of exercise. It's toxins that build up in the body and the carcinogens in the environment. Yep. And when, I, when I identified those seven underlying causes 22 years ago, I said, wait a minute, can I change my attitude? Yeah, you bet. Can I eliminate stress? Yeah, let me get back to meditating again. I me work on that? Can I work on my rest? Yeah. Let me, the circadian rhythm, I think go out every morning, get some sunshine. Let me make sure I'm good. Can I work on my diet? Yeah, clean my diet up ASAP. Can I start exercising? I couldn't at the time because I had no oxygen, but once I built it up, I got where I could ride 50 miles in the country. I detoxed my, my body and I cleaned up my environment. Lo, lo and behold, it prove what I thought in terms of the underlying causes. If you can reverse those, you can reverse the primary cause and you can get rid of the cancer. It's just cause and effect. I'm not saying it's going to work for everybody, but I think, again, as I would say, just give your body a chance. Give your body a chance.
0: Yeah. It's powerful.
1: Uh, well, Bill, I know you've got a book coming out soon. Uh, I know you're working on some things where you can uh, share more of your story to help people. What uh do you have a website people can can find you at? Uh they can learn about your book and the things when they come out. Um what's the best place for people to to get in touch with you?
2: Thanks, Stephen. Uh Cancerfreeblueprint.com. dot And I also have the domain name, my name, Bill Bevins, B-U-V-E-N-S dot com, but I don't have that directed. But that's 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 gonna be the title of my book, cancerfreeblueprint.com. And um, it's going and, and I'm gonna have an online course because it's much more easy for people to learn. I'll actually show people. I'll actually do diagrams of everything. I'll show people how you juice, how you grow wheatgrass, everything. I'll let people know what I did, why I did it, the science, and how I did it.
1: Let um, me know. Let me know when the book comes out. Uh, I'd love to read it, and then love to have you back on the podcast. We can talk about it.
2: Thanks, Nathan. Appreciate you, sir. I've, I've Absolutely. I'm you from afar, and it's really it's good to know you, dude. It really is sincerely. I, I really admire the heck out of you.
1: Oh, thank you, Bill. I appreciate it. It's been you're, awesome. You're, to you're, get living, to...
2: you're, you're living what I would like to do to really help serve others sincerely.
1: Yeah. Well, you have such an inspiring story and, and, you know, you're living proof of what's possible. And I just love, you know, how much you shared about your mindset and the story of that. It's so inspiring. So um, anyway, it's great to, great to get to know you. I look forward to getting to know you more and um, yeah, we'll talk soon. Take care.
0: Thank you, sir. Thanks for listening to the Nathan Crane podcast. If you found value in today's podcast, please share it with others. Subscribe to catch future episodes and leave a rating and a review for more information or to connect with Nathan. Check him out online at www.nathancrane.com and follow him on Facebook and YouTube at Nathan Crane. Until next time, this has been the Nathan Crane podcast.